Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, my fellow Westorians. Welcome back to the show. Not a normal time. Not an abnormal time either. We're here on a Wednesday. It's the middle of the season. Before the big time jump, we thought this would be a good time to catch up on questions. A lot of y'all have asked some things that we haven't been able to get to. Some new questions from last week, including things, and as well as including things back in, from earlier in the season. It's a good time to chat through a lot of those, set ourselves up for the second half, have a little fun. Of course, that's always the bottom line here, having fun with this. And, you know, I hope you all are enjoying this show as much as we are. We may have hoped it was this good, but I wouldn't dare to express the hope ahead of time that it would actually be this good. It feels like setting yourself up for disappointment. Mm -hmm. And I'm all a little hope, a little scared to hope it stays this good, <laughs> but I do have a lot of confidence in their process. Is, is that kind of how you feel too, Shay? Yeah, I, you know, I I've been doing a top TV shows list every year since 2016, a top 50 TV shows list. Um, so I never got to rate the first seasons of Game of Thrones, so I really can't say where I would have placed Game of Thrones seasons one through four or whatnot, but the later seasons maybe got to number 19 or 20. I watch a lot of TV, uh, whereas House of the Dragon season one, this is easily a top 10 show of the year for me, so I'm loving it. Right on. So, yeah, we've got a lot of questions built up here, and we've got stuff from YouTube, from our Facebook group, from Twitter, from Patreon, of course, Gmail, live comments. Anyone here live, you're welcome to contribute a question. We will try to get to every question we see. You don't have to send a super chat to get your question answered, but that is the most certain way to get noticed. You know, we'll probably notice it anyway, but if you really want to make sure you get noticed, you have that option available. And if we have time, we're going to share some memes at the end. This, mm -hmm. this season has been, like all seasons, there's plenty of jokes that come along. And we want to highlight some of the best jokes that we've seen. Because, again, this is about having fun, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes, Shay agrees. Simply, yes. It is about having fun. And I <laughs> encourage you, if something in the fandom is making you not have fun, mute it, block it, ignore it. Or watch something else, right? Yeah, you <laughs> No one's making anything. Not, no one's making any of this stuff happen. You are not forced. So I want to give a shout out to our regular patron supporters like Jeff Nari the Long Snapper, History of Westeros' First Sword, and Dragon Lord Eric the Evening Shade, Lord of the Groves, and Defender of Stigai, Rider of Ixodes Scapularis the Bloodthirsty, a dragon with purple scales and wings with a red underside, black horns, and green eyes. I love the black and green incorporated there. I've got my own black and green dragons here. 
on, yeah. on my mic stand. Yeah, I have no dragons the, on my mic stand. Dragons. I had a I had a green dragon, but Aziz took it. And I stole it. Yeah, uh. that's how you got to get ahead in these dragon wars. You got to have all the dragons. As things stand right now, the greens don't really have dragons, but you know that'll change. Yeah. <laughs> and which brings me to the next mini topic before we get to our first question: spoiler policy. This episode is going to be full of spoilers. Our Monday episodes are spoiler-free. Our Saturday, uh, Saturday episodes are spoiler-full. And to just go a little deeper with that, I am unspoiled as far as the rest of the season goes. I have guesses. We have episode titles, which is something we'll talk about this episode. There's been some confirmation on what the rest of the season's episode titles are. We'll, we'll cover that near the end. So I don't. I haven't seen the leaks. I haven't read the leaks. I haven't watched any of that. So I really don't know what's coming other than I do have a very strong knowledge of Fire and Blood. So I have <laughs> a lot of strong guesses. Strong. Haha. <laughs> But Ashea, mm-hmm. your your situation's a little different, right? Yeah, mine is different. Before the season aired, there were leaks that came out of the whole season. And I do monitor the chat, so I, I do need to know what the real leaks are. Um, so I did read that um, synopsis. It was a very basic synopsis of each episode um, before the season. So there's tons of stuff that were changed that um, weren't mentioned because it was a short synopsis. And also my memory is bad. So <laughs> some stuff I just plain forgot because I haven't refreshed myself on it. But there were certain things that I was like, no, like I need to know if someone's trolling in the chat or not. I think y'all understand that. Yeah. Um, so I tried to take a step back and not theorize about certain topics because I just know the answer. But for the most part... I, I don't know the answer to a lot of the questions that we're theorizing yeah. on, to be clear. Like, the leaks were not extensive or exhaustive. So, to be clear, the one of the main reasons she needs to know what these things are so she can properly uh, vet our comments section and, and yeah. cut out true spoilers. If she doesn't know what the leaks are, she can't identify just guesses yeah. versus people actually spoiling what's really to come. So it's a little tricky because, of course, we some some of the spoilers just come from Fire and Blood. <laughs> but uh-huh. anyway, that's where we're at with that. If you have subtopics you're enjoying, we're going to be covering more towards the end of the season or after the season, specific subtopics within the season, within Fire and Blood. This would be a good time to bring that up. If you have ideas for that, we're going to be thinking about what to cover towards the end of the season and after the season. So that would be a uh, a very nice thing to suggest. If you have ideas, we'll, we're all ears. We have parallel lives videos coming. We're something we've done for quite a while is make tweets and comments and one or two full length episodes on that concept. We're going to start doing visual short versions of that with individual comparisons. The first one will be out very soon. She has almost done with it. Yeah, and that's going to be fun. So shout out to that. We're yeah, that's excited. like about 10, 11 minutes. You know, it's, it's pretty, they're pretty short little episodes. Yeah. We also have Dance of the Dragons Part 5 with Radio Westeros imminent as well. Probably not by the end of September, but early October or something like that. We'll see. We, we're all very busy <laughs> with our coverage of House of the Dragon. <laughs> so we're, but we are intent on completing that collab and we uh, have planned that it will be seven in total. So that's another piece of progress we've made. Holy number. Yeah, it's a very holy number. Exactly. Uh-huh. It is a very sacred number. <laughs> mm-hmm. Karina Strick sends a super chat from New Zealand, says, we'll catch up later. Much love to you guys and much love to you all as well. Karina and the rest of you. We love you all, and we're so glad to be on this journey with you. It's a little um, mon- momentous, a 10-year time jump. It's it's a lot, right? That's, that's a big deal. But it really says great things about the show that this is one of my biggest complaints, which is 
that we kind of wish we weren't jumping so much that we could see a lot of this. You know, I get it. I get why they're doing it. That's not a real complaint. Like, oh, what a bad choice. But I, you know, a part of me was like, well, I wish we could see all this play out. And I wish we could see more of Emily Carey and Millie Alcock and some of these other actors that are moving on. Um, but, you know, uh, they couldn't have predicted that it would have 29 million viewers per episode, <laughs> which is just yeah. a staggering number. I mean, and it's going to yeah. be. I'm super curious how this time jump is going to play out for the 28 million ca- more casual. Like, let's say 1 million of those are the, like the really people who are, who are going to be into it no matter what. So I'm curious if it's going to be a hit with people because they like the increase in action as things go forward or if they're really still going to miss a million Emily because people are uh, definitely pretty sad about it right now about the idea whereas we were prepped before the season to know like no Emma and and Olivia are our Allison and Rainier so I think a a lot of us are just are mostly excited yeah it's going to also look different in a few weeks when we start to get used to the new characters rather than just so far, we're talking about it having not really seen them more than just in a few previews, like snippets here and there. We haven't gotten to see the full power of their skills as actors and, and all that, as well as the change in their characters that comes with such a large time jump. But yeah, I have confidence in it, even though it is a bold thing to do, even though it makes sense to do. It's still risky, like you say, for for uh, um, for the casual viewers. Although I don't know what a casual viewer of House of Dragon looks <laughs> like these days. Like a casual viewer of a lot of shows versus a casual viewer of this show I, I don't know if it's the same thing. <laughs> you just have to be more aware and attentive, I guess. I, I think people still get a lot out of the show, even when they miss a lot of details. I think that's one of the things that worked for the first show as well, is that like, even when you miss, even if you don't know the names of the characters, even if you're confused about the timeline, it seems like that wasn't a big problem for people. Yeah. Like, like they're still like, yeah, this is still great. Like, even though I don't know what that person's name is or who the heck this, why, how are they related again? Who is she the Lord of, Lady of? Those problems aren't, big like yeah. for a casual audience you know yeah i agree with that uh although i i will i think the the still the the problem of becoming attached to certain actors is always going to be an issue because characters get killed off so even beyond there being time yeah. jumps that's been a thing where people are like well i'm done now that rob stark's gone i love richard <laughs> matt you know whatever that is a real um, way to set yourself up for disappointment yeah. is to go into a game of thrones show fixated <laughs> on one character whose fate you don't already know like if you know they're gonna live that's different right like if yeah. we're, we're out here standing i don't know Aegon the third who hasn't even appeared yet we're like oh i love him if they kill him off i'm gonna be it's like well okay you're you're fine then because uh. that guy's gonna survive but <laughs> so speaking of emily carey our first comment from sunny day tea factory emily carey's stepdaughter stare uh, in reference to that rather the quote is emily emily's face acting em- emoted the coldest stare i've ever seen in cinema amazing actress she will be missed yeah that is i well, several of us cited that stare it's just yeah that is if looks could kill, that is a <laughs> she. Millie Alcock would be dead. <laughs> yeah, totally. Not much to say about that other than a full agreement. Yes. Brenda Y says, "Has Harwin Strong been set up well enough for the Unsullied?" Mm, that's a good question. It's hard for us to answer, being so deep in it as we are. Well, I have a. a- story here about Harwin Strong (laughs) that um, I got messaged by an unsullied friend of mine about Harwin Strong 
And he said, like, he wanted to cosplay him. And I was like, oh, cool. And so then he comes over and he says, yeah, there's so much good fan sentiment towards him in the fandom. Like, like on Twitter, he keeps seeing all these positive Harwin tweets. So I doubt he's going to do anything too bad. And I doubt he'll die in the next episode. <laughs> and my face, y'all, I could not keep it together when he said that. I was like, well, we'll see if you still want to cosplay him after he is, in fact, gone in one episode. Yeah, he is going to die in the next episode. <laughs> that so that, but that is an unsullied <laughs> friend of mine who is like he sees a lot on Twitter be- on in the Twitteros sphere. So he's a little less unsullied than the average person, <laughs> but he hasn't read Fire and Blood and is not familiar with the character of Harwin. And he was like, "Who's Harwin?" So somewhat set up, I think. Like he's people are aware of Harwin. Yeah, yeah. So we've had a running joke that there's auto correct for auto auto high tower, but uh, the actor who plays. Harwin Breakbones, his name is Ryan Core. So he's yeah. Ryan Correct. <laughs> Ryan Correct. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Had to get that in before he dies, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so yeah, there is in the, in the, we'll talk about it more on our episode six preview on Saturday, but yeah, the fire, the Heron Hall fire is is here. It's coming. Yeah. It's this episode. Yeah, we are trying to stick to more overarching topics here because, yeah, we have a Saturday stream you can look forward to. Is there a chance it's in episode seven or is it definitely episode six? Or are we pretty sure? I think it'll... I, I don't know. I, I don't know for sure. I, I don't... Okay, I, so, this is a case, to be clear, where I do not remember what the leak said on yeah. if it was... I know this is going to happen, but this isn't where I'm saying I know for sure episode six or episode seven. We'll say a uh, strong suspicion. Yeah. But no, I, I, don't, I really don't remember for sure. I, but I know for sure that it does happen because because that's not something they would change. And we saw in the preview a fire that Lionel is dealing with. So we've, yeah. we've seen footage of this is not a change. Brenda also says, was this nod about the Bravosi plant growing here at King's Landing and nod to the lemon trees? We speculated at the end of our last episode that it was. A lot of y'all might have missed that since it was right at the end. But yeah, I think so. Uh, it's a very good chance that they were referring to that. This writing team knows a lot of these theories. They're very well versed in the material. So you got to give them a, a, a nod for probably doing that. You know, with a different writing team, I might have been like, "Ah, eh, it's probably just an accident. It might have just worked out that way." But it's so specific. Yeah. Bravos. It's not some other northerly, northerly spot that that yeah. we've heard of. Yeah, it's a very, very telling. So I think so. Uh, Yusuf Ilalam. Oh, and here's my cue to point out that I will probably mispronounce a few names this episode. <laughs> I. Being having a name like mine, yeah. I'm used to it. Yeah, we well. both uh, have. Uh, yeah, I never mind when people mispronounce my names because I'm so <laughs> used to it. So I also am pretty uh, tolerant to mispronouncing names. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully you all are as tolerant with us as well for that. So yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yusuf brings up the concept of blacks and greens bias and how so many people have a preconceived bias towards the blacks because of fire and blood, because of things we know already. But well, also, let me say, I saw polls before the season started of like team black versus team green. And it was always like 85 percent green, 15 percent. I mean, around. other way around, 85 yeah. percent black, 15 percent green. It was extreme. So I'm very curious how the polls are going to go. It does seem different this time. though, doesn't. The greens are a lot more sympathetic, aren't they? Yeah. Like, I still feel like if we were to run a poll right now, it would be like. 70 30 or something but yeah, that's still like doubling their numbers the greens like that's not too shabby a lot of people cannot separate what they already know or and, and don't even try to and that's yeah. not a criticism it's just you, 
how can you delete information you have from your brain and not take it into, into account? It's not the simplest thing to do. So yeah, even I, who, when I'm trying to remove my anti-green bias from Fire and Blood, I'm still, it's hard to do that. But I totally like the performance of Emily and Otto and, and Reese, like you're mixing up their real names and their characters. Ah. Names. They do that so much. It's just really good. It's really nuanced. I, I think Otto is a lot less villainous. Allison's is a lot more understandable. Even Kristen Cole's more understandable. I mean, he's still yeah. a jerk, but, yeah. um, you know, uh, and Rhaenyra comes off worse. And Damon, not Damon, to me, comes off as about the same. Differently. Yeah, differently. Differently. Yeah. This differently the same. But yeah. he still comes off as a villainous, you know, uh, which he does in Fire and Blood, personally, mm-hmm. to me. But, so, yeah, and there are people asking what polls we're referring to. I'm referring to general Twitter polls, fandom polls that have gone on in the Facebook group and on Twitter, specifically those two places. Because I've seen ones that we've run, ones that friends, other podcasts have run. So general polls. Not, um, certainly not like 20,000 person polls, but like 2,000 person polls. Like, for example, one of the reasons I see a question here in the chat, why are the Greens more sympathetic? Can we give some examples? Well, one of them in particular is Otto doesn't come off nearly as villainous or as ambitious. He comes off as an ambitious person that also cares about the king. He cares about his well-being to some degree. He definitely comes off as somewhat villainous, but he's not out here like... That we know of. Yeah, Maybe we yeah. will find out that he yeah. has been doing these things, but out here, like, arranging murders and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> Where, and Alicent, I feel real bad for her. I mean, I probably won't later, given what we know what's probably coming. But, like, the way she's set up, she was pushed into this marriage. She was a very good person early on. She was trying to create harmony between the factions before they became factions. She was just a good person, you know, uh, Especially for someone her age, you know, like, I don't know how you can't feel a little, a little sympathy for that. So, yeah, I don't know how either, <laughs> but people, people don't. Yeah. But some people already know where she's going and that just erases it. And I, I get that. Yeah, I get that. You know, yeah. So, uh, but that does make it tricky. It, it makes the discourse a little tricky when you're talking to people who have already made up their minds b- based on things that haven't technically happened yet. <laughs> yeah. That haven't technically happened. And we don't know for sure will ever happen in the show. Yeah. And that might make them even matter if that doesn't actually end up happening. I, I mean, I do think Allison will do some, be involved in some terrible things, but yeah. I don't know. I, I, at this point, I don't know. I, I feel like even the worst things she's described as doing in Fire and Blood, she might never do or might yeah. do in such a different context that I'll understand it. It'll be, it could be very ambiguous and we won't be able to for sure say that she did it. But for example, we know it's not ambiguous that her father has pushed her, pushed her, pushed her to believe that her children will be killed by Rhaenyra, which is the number one thing a mother or any parent would fear. You know, that's the number one thing you would be scared of if it's a legitimate fear. And she's just been told that over and over and over. And she's come to believe it because she's now seen that Rhaenyra is dishonest about some things. So I sympathize with that, too. Like, she's, whether it's true or not, it might be true, but it might not be. Otto might be exaggerating. He might be exaggerating a lot, but he might be telling the truth. He might be telling the truth as he sees it. He might be wrong about what actually happens but you might be right so it is that is from from this uncertainty is where some sympathy comes from mm-hmm. along among other things yeah among other things and, you know, i mean sometimes people are just like i think olivia cook and emily carey are hotter like, <laughs> sometimes it's just that like yeah. i'm into christian cole like, and that's that's the difference for people and that's valid too considering this lots of all, black supporters and are, it's all fictional like yeah. it's not a it's not like you're like actually picking your favorite real world politician based on what yeah, they look yeah, like which yeah. people do yeah but that's true people that's problematic that in the real world it doesn't <laughs> yeah. really doesn't matter for this series really if, if you want to be like christian cole sexy i'm into it then like go you do it like, yeah. have fun with the series it is we uh, can't yeah we come back to that again it's about having fun so have fun yeah <laughs> i hope I hope you don't carry that over to real life, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do hope that as well. I will say that. Uh, uh. 
Fodder for foreshadowing says, guys, what if the reason we have a record of births and hair colors, etc., the one, the same thing that Ned and John Aaron studied early in the Game of Thrones, is because Alicent commissioned such a thing to be written in order to record Rhaenyra's kids and document all this. So we, this is an older joke. Um, it's an older code, but it checks out. That at last we get to go from the seed is strong in Game of Thrones to the seed is strongs from in Fire and Blood. Harwin strongs, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. Obviously, we have no way to say that's definitely what happened, but it fits super well. I love theories like this that fit the world building, even though we we can't possibly say yes, that's definitely it. It's so such a great fit. There, Allison has a connection to Old Town. Obviously, more than just a connection to Old Town, but uh, that's part of why this is fitting. Connection to the Citadel. We've talked about the Maesters maybe leaning their way, if not fully being on their side. This would be a way to maybe document the bastardy of this regime or something like that. Something to maybe justify their actions later, historically. Yeah, it's a great call. I, I hope that it's even possible they throw in a reference to this that makes us believe that that could it be. I mean, maybe they'll bring that old book back or an earlier version of that book the one Ned was reading. The Ponderous Tome. Yeah, no, I'm just liking <laughs> I really do. I, I love the idea of that's how the book starts in the first place is this exact scenario. <laughs> yep. That was the first one. No, I actually think that um, it started before that, but... Yeah, could be. It could be. <laughs> uh, Sandy Hartcorn says, as fellow book readers, do you feel like Harwin could have been set up by Lionel and Laris to hook up with Rhaenyra to get Strongs on the Iron Throne? Harwin's acting on the nod from Lionel made me three think this. Love your channel. Thank you, Sandy. Appreciate that and the support. Um, Yeah, I do. I think it's possible. I'm not sure that Lionel's thinking of Harwin hooking up with Rhaenyra, but he, we can't put it past him. He's aware of everything. Like, Lionel knows Lanor's orientation. He knows Rhaenyra probably wants or might need some side piece to, well, because, you know, why not, right? She, he's reasonable and would expect a person to want that. It's, it's a reasonable expectation for someone. So he could think, well, why not my son? Of course, that would put him on a trajectory to be compromised in the same way Otto ended up being compromised. Wow. Well, now the hand of the king's daughter is, well, son, in this case, is hanging out with the heir to the throne and having kids with him. That's obviously <laughs> makes you un, uh, unable to be neutral about a yeah. lot of things going forward. It, it puts into question your, your loyalty, uh, just like it did for Otto. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it really puts Lionel in the best position Yeah, to me. As far as Laris being involved in that, I don't think so. It looks like Laris is aiming to be a green, or at least working in that direction. More on that in a minute. But I suspect Laris is going to be the person who actually kills his brother and father. Uh, very good chance of that. And, of course, in Fire and Blood, it's one of those things that they, could they would never know what happened. It could have been an accident. They blame it on Damon. They blame it on Viserys. I mean, not blame it on These are all suggestions. Which The idea that Viserys did it is wild. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's suggested. Uh, he, he just doesn't seem like the type. But uh, they don't... They And they mention Laris, too. They throw that out. Or maybe Laris just murdered. It's like a pretty straightforward follow-the-money situation. He benefits enormously from it. He becomes Lord of Harrenhal. So he's probably the guy that benefits most from it. On the other hand, this also sets up Otto's return. Yeah. So if we're going to throw out the idea, maybe Otto does start getting involved in actual murders and things like that, if he hasn't already, this would be a golden opportunity. Kill the Hand of the King off, 
Of course, he can't predict he'll be recalled, but it gives him a shot. And um, yeah, and that is what happens. So he definitely does get recalled. So yeah, um, whether that's just dumb luck for him or something, yeah, he, yeah, he pushes for, or who knows? I think is I think Allison's going to push for it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> she's going to want him back. Yeah. So hopefully that answers your question there. Also, definitely agree with the uh, the great acting there, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the acting on the nod. Just yeah. the, maybe something they activate thought activate large son, <laughs> <laughs> activate plan, step in to be the new lover. <laughs> so uh, John Malarkey says, Maesters have lots of things they have to learn. They're not necessarily all healers. This is an idea pushing not back against the Maester conspiracy, but just. It could easily be something else. It's not necessarily... There's still other ways for the maesters to conspire or be on the side of the greens more so than the blacks or to take certain things for their own benefit. But it's true that maesters are, as John points out, they're expected to learn a huge variety of skills. History, warcraft, public health, which isn't the same as treating individuals, right? Like sanitation is public health. Like Septon Barth was big on that. That doesn't mean Septon Barth was amazing at treating like sores on Viserys's back for example um yeah if Septon Barth had been treating that wound and didn't do a very good job we wouldn't accuse Septon Barth of working against his king I don't think <laughs> but mm-hmm. because this guy we don't know about because Melos we're not so sure about anyway the point is it's a good point by John to say that maybe Melos is just really good at some of these other things and just isn't that great of a healer which we brought up as a possibly he wasn't great as a healer but we didn't suggest that we didn't mention the possibility that he excels elsewhere, and that is why he's a Grand Maester, in spite of his maybe not great skills as a healer. Uh, Jim Martin, on the same topic, says, I'd love to hear your theories about how King Viserys lives long enough to survive the time jump. Yeah, the dude collapses at the end. His nose is bleeding. He, he collapses earlier in the episode. He looks a lot older, even though he's... No. I looked it up. I, we talked about it on Monday. Um, I think my guess was pretty pretty close to right. I said late 30s. That is should be about what he is. That's what he is in, in Fire and Blood at this time. Okay. He was born in 77. So when the war, when he, di- when he dies in Canada at age 52 in the year 129. So this would be, if we're doing a 10-year jump, he's, so he would be about 42 before the time jump. And earlier in the season, he would have been in his late 30s, like I said. So that we were pretty close on that, if not right there. So I want to clarify that. But as far as how he lives... Well, I think we sort of talked about it, and I think that's our best guess, is that Melos is going to die. Just of old age. No no conspiracy <laughs> or anything like that. He's just an older guy, and in this 10-year span, it looks like he's going to pass. And will get replaced either by Orwell, who we saw already, or by, in the book, it's Girardis, who is Rhaenyra's maester, and she really trusts him. She's come to trust him because he's the Dragonstone maester. And my guess is they'll, they won't necessarily do both Girardis and Orwell since it seems like they've already set up Orwell to be the one that's going to improve things like he he suggests tinctures and poultices which we get in Fire and Blood is exactly what Girardis does to slow the the progress of Viserys's disease now of course also in the book Viserys does not have this proto-leprosy disease he becomes sick after slipping on the throne late in his life and then he loses his fingers so that's that's something that happens like three years before his death where here it happens like, like 15 or yeah. 18 years before his death so anyway so yeah I, I i kind of agree that i think they the way they played up how sick he was right now i'm not surprised people think that the series has now died or is about to die or is like and they're going to be surprised that he survived 10 years but i think they'll just be like oh he's really deteriorated and he can barely walk or he can barely move around you know 
Yeah, I think it's really clever because it puts everyone, everyone, like, they aren't concealing the fact that for this to really progress as a plot, he has to die. But by having him in such ill health, it really ups the tension because people could think he could just die any moment. Yeah. He could die right now. He's it's like, wow, he's alive after the time jump? Amazing. That means he really can't last much longer than that, right? So <laughs> yeah. it, it really sets the tension because he could just go any minute. And we're pretty sure it'll be episode nine called The Green Council, which yeah. happens right after his death. So that stands to reason pretty well a shout out to helen m who says my husband is unsullied and he thinks Viserys just died yeah we asked sean if he thought that and he was like well i kind of know he's not so he didn't guess that but someone who's not looking ahead like sean hasn't read fire and blood he is unsullied but you know he kind of picked up on it from the, the tones of the conversations i guess uh, shout out to Nina, whose name we haven't mentioned in a while always a big contributor to our book centric episodes she, she points out that that in the real world, red squirrel fur trade may be responsible for the leprosy outbreak in medieval Europe, as of, of all things. Mm -hmm. the, blame the squirrels. It's those poor squirrels. Hmm. Yep. How about that? Random, random. Good trivia for you there. Share with us, by the way, your favorite Unsullied stories. Y'all, any of you out there, you've got good Unsullied stories, share them with us. We love hearing Unsullied stories. Yeah. <laughs> They're really entertaining. I like uh, the cameraman in the chat said, wow, my dad and I did think he died. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It really, I, I mean, it's the last it's, thing that happens. And then you yeah. hear there's a 10-year time jump. Like, you're like, okay, I guess that guy's dead. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah it's totally... a very valid thing to think. But no, we have seen him in the preview for next week and um, in, in a few other shots as well. Yeah. So that is going to be really something. Uh, okay, so yeah, so like, definitely send us your favorite Unsullied stories. The best ones we'll put on the podcast. Kate Nelson, let's stick on the strong topic here for a minute. The strong topic. Mm -hmm. She says, I'm interested in your thoughts on Larry Strong. What were his motivations in tattling on Rhaenyra to Allison? Is he just stirring up trouble for the hell of it, trying to position himself as a whisper of sorts for Allison out of pure self-promotion? A chauvinist who is already plotting to make sure a male heir succeeds. I feel like his father and brother are loyal to Viserys and Rhaenyra at this point, so why is Laris plotting against them? On Monday, we discussed the possibility that he's playing both sides. We even have a new meme from It's Always Sunny. And from one Joe joke Magician. I couldn't. For, for, yeah. Oh, from Joe Magician made this meme from It's Always Sunny. That's right. Shout out to Joe Magician. Who it is says, the, it's Laurie's edited into Mac from Always Sunny saying, I'm playing both sides so that I always come out on top. Now, I was, I had to restrain my spoiler muscles when this joke was made on Monday because this joke fits even better than we could have hoped. If you haven't seen this episode of It's Always Sunny, Mac slashes his hand open multiple multiple times yeah. as like a blood oath, you know, and it's it's humorous. Larry Strong is the one who suggests they slash their palms for a blood <laughs> oath during the Green Council. I mean, come on. It's so perfect. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, that is an incredible... Uh, yeah, so, but of course, Larry Strong, of course, way smoother than Mac, <laughs> way smarter than Mac, um, way... Uh, yeah, way ahead of the game. So we did discuss this on Monday and some new ideas here. Other than the possibility that they are playing both sides to make sure one side comes out on top. One idea I've seen, which is just maybe just cutting to the chase and rather than cutting to the palm, is pretty straightforward and very believable, which is that he is kind of like Otto. And he says, yeah, the realm is going to not stand for this. They're going to back the man. That's who's going to win. I want to be on the winning side. And of course, he's not, it's not his family. He's going against his own family to do this, so it's a lot bolder move. But if he also is already the kind of guy who's planning on offing his family to <laughs> become Lord himself, which I doubt he just came up with that idea later. I'm thinking he's wanted to be Lord a long time if he just 
premeditated so, okay, murder. Let's, let's go on the record here. Do you think Laris wants to kill his family and be Lord and did it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I do think the show is, is going to tend to lean towards the more dramatic, sensational interpretations from okay. Fire and Blood. And I think this is just a good one anyway. Like, this guy's a plotting plotter, you know, and he yeah. wants, he's, he's a master whispers type. It just fits really mm-hmm. well. And he's, they've already shown him to be kind of creepy and yeah. little finger-ish, Varus-ish. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. whereas I wonder if this is one of those ones where they can keep the viewer guessing and, like, if they can play it ambiguous. Let's not forget that Laris is going to be a torturer, too. He's going to torture blood of blood and cheese to find out who, like, who did it and what happened there. And he's going to eventually cop to some, some things and while being tortured. So, yeah, I mean, we've got a guy that's willing to torture and, and he probably, this probably won't be the only person he tortures. In fact, there's like a little blip from next episode where we see someone in prison. We don't even know who it is, but it might be a burned body, it might be the black cells. I don't know, but this could be large. We could be getting more set up for that. So yeah, I think might. that might be the simplest answer, that he just he wants to be on the winning side. He perceives the Greens as having the better chance of coming out on top. Maybe chauvinism may not have anything to do with it on his per, on a personal level for him. Yeah. He may view the realm as that level of chauvinist, kind of like Otto does. You know, I or Rainey's. It was interesting. Um, on the House of the Dragon, HBOguide.com, like the, that, with the website they have, um, the description for Harwin Strong calls him like a fierce protector to his brother, Laura, which makes it seem like... It's an affectionate relationship between the hmm. two of them, or at least more, at least on Harwin's side to La- to Laris. I thought that was yeah. notable. Yeah, it, I would be pleasantly surprised if it's something if it, if it's something else because you something know I think a little I, more complex. Than yeah, just like I want to be the Lord and not my brother and father. Well, and Fire and Blood also points out that Laris. Uh, or rather that Lionel wasn't planning on going to Harrenhal with Harwin. He did. Mm. It was like a last minute change. Like, I'm going to actually go with you. And then they mm. both died in the fire. So it's possible he had only planned to kill Harwin, call, kill his older brother and then inherit himself or maybe kill his father later. Maybe he got lucky. Kind of like, it's a little vaguely like what our discussion about Damon and Red. Like, he may have wanted to kill her, but he didn't necessarily plan on killing her at that moment until the opportunity just yeah. fell well, on her, almost on, I was going to say on him, on her head. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, I was thinking it was kind of like um, Harwin is a problem just in general in the mm. realm as the bas- as the father of these bastards. Yeah. And that it's like, it is, again, like Lionel gets caught, uh, you know, in in this fire because it's, af- it's, it's targeted at Harwin, not Lionel. Yeah. And the um, book also, Fire and Blood, is just like, I didn't even list all the possible... Yeah. Uh, people that could have done the murder like the, the motives were suggested like even even the sea snake was floated as a possibility because his grandchildren were cuckold his his son was cuckolded yeah. basically yeah and, and, mm-hmm. which by the way i think i figured out one of the trailer lines in that regard uh one of the very first tra- it might have been the first trailer the quote we get from Corlease is history remembers name or history doesn't remember blood it remembers names that was a little puzzling at the time like what does that mean i think we know now i mean we could have figured it out then even which i think it refers to him coming to terms with the fact that those aren't his grandchildren (laughs) that the 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 strongs are not his the sons of his son and that's why he's like well i don't care that much you know they have targaryen blood it's gonna their name will be valarian well except for the one who becomes king targaryen and he's like, yeah, they're that's what matters. The history book will say Valarian, and that's what matters. And he doesn't care that their bloodline was technically someone else's. So I think that's probably where that line is going to come. 
But we shall see. We shall see. Uh, moving on. Um, Juzco says, also on this, staying on the same topic, are they hinting at Larry's being a green seer and or warg? When we first see him, they linger on the heart tree. When he first starts talking, the face on the tree is focused on. Then we get him knowing information he really shouldn't, but they keep showing the rats are everywhere watching. Is he warging in the rats or anything like that? Well, and we got a follow-up question also. Joe Berlin, question regarding Laris. What do you think of Joe Magician's theory that Laris is a green seer, which is why I wanted to shout out our good friend Joe Magician, who yeah. had a very successful video <laughs> that has led to us getting lots of comments from people about this. Well... First of all, let's recommend y'all go watch that video. I think it's only about 30 minutes. It's not a big time investment. And I would say it's worth it even if it was longer, but (laughs) it's not a big time investment. So that's, that's nice. It's a very good idea. Joe's been building these theories for a long time. This isn't something that just kind of occurred to him recently. And there's a lot of evidence for it. There's not, obviously there's never like a lot of things, especially supernatural. You can't just be like, yeah, definitely. But (laughs) first of all, how strong is very old. They're in that zone of first men houses that had really simple names. Stark, no. strong, which, by the way, German, Stark, strong, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of confusion for German readers. That, that The word Stark translates as strong. So how strong is something else? I forget what it is. We'll have to check with Michael Yeah, we should. Yeah, that. we should ask. Yeah. I've forgotten what it was. So, uh, you know, like rivers and or not rivers. That's a bastard name. But towers and woods and all these other simple like nature Flint. names or just. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So stuff like that. So. And the Riverlands is basically the second most uh, supernatural in terms of the old gods. Like, the North is obviously first. The Riverlands had... But the Riverlands is second, right? It has things like the Ghost of High Heart and the the Grove of of where she lives. And Alice Rivers, who is going to be a character in this show, Alice Rivers is probably a bastard of how strong. And she definitely has magical power. So, you absolutely, you have a strong right there. With pre- predictive magical powers, mm-hmm. probably first men inherited. So it's it's really, you definitely can't dismiss this theory out of hand. No. It's, it's absolutely possible. It's within his own family. The bloodline's there. The Strongs have been around there for forever. Yeah, it could totally work. It would explain how he knows these things. Now, it's not required to explain how he knows these things. We don't know how he learned about the tea, but this is information passed between humans. There's a, There are ways for him to have learned. He could have overheard it. He could have bribed the right person. The, the greens could be in and on it already. Melos could have already been involved. Maybe the king didn't send the tea and he just claimed the tea was from the king when he gave it to Rainier. There's a lot of possibilities here that go beyond supernatural, but that would easily, that would explain it. <laughs> that would explain it. Mm-hmm. Anything to add, Ashay? I know, just I, we will see. We will I see. am a skeptic in general, but, um, Ryan Condal definitely wanted to shout out to some more supernatural things in the show. The werewolf is there for a reason, whether it's uh, just to keep you reminded that this is a supernatural world um, beyond the dragons or not. We'll see. Uh, yeah, really, uh, the jury is out for me on here on whether I think... I, I don't think Laris is warging into rats and seeing through eyes or anything like that, but I do think there's a possibility that he's able to see things through the tree or something. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. I, I cannot dismiss it, but I am more skeptical than the average person. I'd say, yeah, the idea that he's green seeing through a bunch of different animals is a little, it's a little tricky, but not so bad because, yeah, like, this is what Blood Raven maybe does, or he's is expected to have done. And this is also a person from the same region. You now, Blood Raven has the Targaryen blood as well, but it wouldn't be the Targaryen blood that gives him the green seer skills in the first place. So 
that you know that that fits pretty well. And he's a master. He's a master whispers too. Only a couple of generations before Blood Raven. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very and cool idea. Yeah. If we're thinking that Blood Raven could do certain magical activities during his time, then well, yeah. Why not Laris? There's plenty of established ground for this. Yeah. It's not. It wouldn't be that. It wouldn't be new. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. And he doesn't have to even be seeing through a werewood or through rats. Um, as D Cell says, he can just have the sight, like Jojen. He can just have vision sometimes. Yeah. Maybe as well. his green dreams. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Like that. Um. So there, there's multiple options for Laris to have some sort of magical insight into something. I fully agree with the way that sh- that scene was filmed. Adds a lot to the background of supporting the theory just the way they filmed it with the voice and all that yeah that was that was notable for sure for sure yeah philosophy nerd lady says if the strongs are trying to be in on both sides it's another family taken from english history the stanley family just did just that to them in the wars of the roses choosing at the very end to betray richard the third and help henry the seventh whose stepfather was a stanley at the battle of bosworth field shea is giggling because she's thinking of stanley from the office no actually you're not wow i just really I liked as you. you said i just really liked the the the, the um poet this the way that the stanley family yeah, the stanley rhymed family. it was really dumb you weren't thinking of stanley yeah. i was so, truly i'm you, so surprised it was just <laughs> i don't know why but the stanley family <laughs> yeah that is, the Stanleys were kind of the phrase of the Wars of the Roses. I believe we, in fact, made that point during our panel on that at Ice and Firecon, and we will have a fuller episode on that someday. And, yeah. That- now I'm thinking about Stanley Hudson, though. You're right. And now I got you. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't uh-huh. thinking about it before, but you are now. Yeah, and that that could be a good uh, call there. I hadn't thought about connecting the Strongs to this, but there's certainly some other families that took both sides during these major conflicts. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good call. Tabitha M says, what are those marble things they use at council? Okay, good question. They look kind of like mouse balls to me. You yeah, know, like, like the trackball. Like, oh, track we're, we're off. Like, but look, wait. Oh, we're, yeah, we're, here, here we're, now you can see. Aziz's yeah. trackball, <laughs> my trackball. We're a trackball mouse family. We're always ready to just pop our, our trackball out and have a council meeting. Yeah. I got a nice new purple trackball. I got Amond, a new mouse. I'm going Amon style. Oh, right you took here. yours out. Yeah. Um, I'm Amon to one eye. But I no, um, we had to go back to the image of the the track balls of the council you can see they're all different track balls of the council uh, they're all different um the master of ships to the grand mate i really the, my favorite might be the grand maester one yeah, as it's you got see this, it's kind of like the like the it looks like the chain links um, yeah the, the astrolab kind oh, of kinda looks like that too you're right although for me it just made me think of the chains the different colors and see here's the hand of the king one which is this green and um, yellow one. Um, notably, Alicent, yeah. uh, it has it for this is the, per- the hand of the king's item, but it looks like this is the high tower ball because later, um, we see, um, I could probably pull it up even. I want Mushroom um, to run in and start juggling all those balls. That'd be a good way for him to appear on the show finally. Just juggle but, all the uh, forum balls. But no, Alicent, um, at the, is at the council meeting and her ball is that ball, but she's not the hand of the king. So I think it really is more of like, that's the high tower ball. Mm. Um, and so Lionel Strong has his, how strong, strong ball is <laughs> strong ball um but yeah anyway so that those are um a way for people to, to clock in to be like i'm here and conceivably also a way for you to if you can't make the meeting you could give someone your ball and, and be like hey <laughs> have a ball yeah <laughs> hey go account. handle this for me yeah like a uh, signet ring which we yeah, see exactly. as used for seal for seals on wax and things like that is kind of the equivalent yeah. of 
Yeah, it, it's a way to represent. It's very. It's a fancy way to represent. Like everyone's here. But yeah, or, notable. She's actually looking like it's a trackball. Yeah, this here one. That, Look at this that. one. She's here, got yeah. her finger on top of it. Like yeah, she's, she's <laughs> like, like I have a seat at the table is really what she's you know signifying there. But um, so I, it's interesting that she gets one of her own. Um, I don't know if she has like an official position on the um council going forward. Yeah, or she's just heir to the throne. heir gets a I ball. Yeah, yeah. Or like or maybe that's maybe that's maybe if I look closer, maybe that's like the ball that Viserys brings and she's oh, using she's Viserys because he's he's gonna be really sick. Yeah, at this point. he's yes, probably maybe, be missing meetings. So, yes, yeah, so maybe yeah. that's the Viserys ball in actuality. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's. No, not on screen. Um, Um, the next thing. Yes, Dreamfire has a great catch here. They say Jason's sexist joke is really ironic when you consider what his wife does later in the story. I can't believe I missed this. That's part of why I call it such a great catch because I really should have caught this. Yeah, Jason. If you remember, Jason Lannister comes up and makes this joke about his wife taking too long, or her wife taking, or he's referring to Allison taking too long to get ready, which is why. The, you know, only men go to war. We made, we, we joked about how bad a joke that was, uh, especially compared to the general humor of his family. <laughs> the Lannisters are the, probably the best joking family there is, but in, in Game of Thrones proper. So, but if you recall, Jason Lannister is going to get killed by Pate of Longleaf. The line, he's going to get killed by a commoner, which is going to be funny for considering how highfalutin and arrogant he is towards uh, <laughs> anything that isn't fancy and highborn. But, um, yeah. His wife is going to lead the West. Johanna Westerling. Johanna Westerling, nay Lannister, or Lannister nay Westerling, yes. is going to, yeah, lead the West against the Ironborn when they take advantage of the chaos and the, the fact that the Western armies have gone to the Riverlands to fight in the war. They're like, hmm, Western army's gone, are they? <laughs> Let's go. That's is our, this is our chance. This is what we've been waiting for. And then Johanna is going to be like, no. And it's so meaningful because the Ironborn have been held in check for over a hundred years. Aegon was like, no more raiding. And the Lord of the Iron Isles at the time was like, no more raiding. We can't face the dragons. Like, it's one thing to go against a king that just says no. It's another thing to go against a king that literally brought Balerion here and torched half of our island. We know what they're capable of. We're not doing that again. So the Iron Islands played nice for like a 100 years until this opportunity. And you know they were just chomping at the bit to go after the Lannisters after holding back for so long. And they had a really capable leader in, in the Red Kraken. And this is why I should have realized this catch, because we wrote a whole episode on the Red Kraken. It's a patrons-only episode we did with Radio Westeros as part of our Dance of the Dragons coverage. So we really got deep into this topic, and we're gonna f- we have a follow-up episode coming focused on Johanna's uh, leadership, which is more of the second half of that whole thing. It's like first the Red Kraken gets it going, and then Joanna you... Westling takes over and starts to push back and, and really does her thing. If it makes you feel better, Aziz, I didn't forget about Johanna, and <laughs> I was going to bring it up on our Saturday stream when it was relevant, nice. because it was not relevant on Monday, so I didn't bring right. it up. But I'm always thinking about Johanna. We actually commissioned <laughs> art of her, because we have an upcoming episode on her as well, beyond the Red Kraken. Um, so yes, uh, she... Is going to be popular, I think. That is uh, why Shay and I make such a good team. <laughs> <laughs> you forget and I remember. Is that yeah. why? Yeah, oh, exactly. I thought that's why. Yeah, yeah. You're my memory. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, see, that's sweet. Uh, we have another comment here about the... Oh, a, jo- oh, a good cat joke. <laughs> the air ball. The hair, <laughs> the hair ball. ball. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes um, hers should look like... Thanks, Zenil's sun yeah. chaser. What do dragons cough up? Do they cough up a scale ball? Yeah. Yeah, Probably bones. Flaming, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We don't Bone need to ball. see what they cough up. Yeah. 
Uh, Brash the God says, here's a question I keep asking myself about House of the Dragon. Why doesn't anyone in the realm seem to use ravens to send messages to this point? They were all used all the time in Game of Thrones, but for example, when Viserys sent the message to Daemon in the Stepstones fighting the crab feeder, he sent a physical person. Seems odd to forego raven messages altogether. Well, we have seen a raven. We have seen at least one. Yeah, and we see like we've seen Otto write messages and like tie them up, and then we don't see them him yeah. send it on a raven. But I've assumed that he when he sends his uh, when he sends Hobart letters, it's Old Town that that was through Raven. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Ravens have to be trained to go to certain locations. They're trained to go to certain castles only. They're they're taken and taught, and there's no ravens taught to go to the stepstones. So yeah. that that's just not a. It's like not a delivery spot. It's like UPS doesn't yeah. deliver there. You know, it's imagine that like FedEx does not deliver to this location. It's that. Uh, yeah. Ravens don't yeah, go to the Stepstones. <laughs> so that's, that explains it. I think mostly just a big part of it is that everyone is so close together. We're not, we're not seeing a ton of different locations. That will change though. We will definitely see more and more Ravens, especially towards the end of the season at the Green Council and at the Black council they're going to start sending ravens and messengers both to see who's on their side and who isn't so we will see more of that lana joy walquist says i think we might be giving corley's a bit too much credit in his defense of his wife's claim clearly they're great partners however when he married her was it possible she could have been seen as a potential heir to the throne so when he says justice is he really just referring to his own ambition to have been king consort himself which he can now push through his son instead yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think it's probably both. It's yeah, probably he both. might also like as she says, he might also feel slighted and passed over. Like he's couching it in, oh, I care about it for, on your behalf. But there's a, I, I agree that I do. I do think that he is doing it right, like righteously, like he thinks on Rainey's behalf. But I also think that he personally feels slighted and is doing it yeah. selfishly. Like it can be both. Um, and as Rainey's has said, like, this is something she's trying to move past and trying to like not fester in bitterness over and like live her best life and not do that. And he's kind of just brings it back up. It's hard to grow past something when the other part, when your partner in life is not, does not want to move past it. And Viserys says that pretty much straight out. I think it's episode one or two. He says, ever since the great yeah. council, I've felt Lord Corlys's eye on me. Like, yeah. Not, not, not Rainey's eye. Not, not my cousin. Not eye. princess Rainey's yeah. eyes. No, Lord Corlys is, you're exactly right. Viserys feels his, his envy, his jealousy, his, uh, yeah. His lack of respect. Which is part of why he got so mad at being rejected on Lena. He's like, because he thought that would, like, he deserved it. Oh. He thought, like, well, this makes up for that injustice. And he's like, you, you won't even do this. I'm out of here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think he takes a lot of it personally and not just on his wife's behalf. But definitely that's part of it. I, I think it's fair to say he absolutely yeah. also cares about his, his wife there. Yeah. Which is what Lena, Lana is saying with her question. She's saying that it's probably both as well. So, yeah, good point though. Yeah, we can't just, uh, this is, this is getting into what Sean was saying. He's like, Sean's like, I'm not super impressed with Corley's. He seems just really ambitious. And he's like, no, I think Sean would have agreed with the stake. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was, I was, I'm making fun of Sean on our Monday stream for being pro Laris, pro Kristen and anti Corley's. Yeah. It's so funny seeing that, but that's why we love these unsullied takes. Cause it was like, it's so hard to like, sometimes it's hard to fathom that. But yeah. Like, but when Sean lays it out the way he does, it's like, well, oh. I still don't fully agree, but I get it. You know, yeah, I'm not I'm like, like oh, you idiot. You know, I know nothing like that. I'm, like, I'm oh, okay, okay. I'm still pro Corley's, but his opinion about Leonor being gay was not a great look that for him. Good, and Rainey's yeah. looked great. So like, yeah. really, I'm team Rainey's and Corley's yeah. is her husband. So I'm into him too. But, uh, he hasn't 
distinguish himself to be the, the best uh the best person i mean he's pushing for wars that don't need to exist and all that so i i, I kind of feel sean there i'm not pro laris and i'm not pro Kristen exactly but yeah and we'll see i think Corlys is it's going to be getting a lot more interesting obviously as the war as things peak a little more and we see <sighs> how he responds to the strongs and how he responds to the greens um, pushing against now his in-laws and his grandchildren and all that so there's a good chance for him to shift gears yeah, in a different yeah mode. yeah i feel like he'll be a lot more likable if he's like no i like their family i don't care if they're not really lay noise you know depending on yeah. how he reacts to this i think people will respect and like his his stance here. i agree yeah I, I feel like that's coming i feel like they kind of yeah. played that kind of played him more like a neutral but now he's gonna his his less agreeable qualities will be put to uh, will be part of a just more just cause which yeah. will make him look better yeah and maybe give him more time to shine all right uh christy robinson says i think rainies and corley's had assumed or hoped the visit was to propose lena for damon and they were surprised rather than uh-huh. lanor that's um, an interesting take just because they say well they bring up the fact that ray royce is recently deceased um and so the timing on that but i still think Letters were exchanged before they arrived and 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 asked yeah. this. I think that Lionel or someone was involved in reaching out to them and saying, hey, you guys would say yes to a proposal to Lane or we're not coming out just to look like fools, right? Like, that's what I think. But I like this take. Well, also, though, Lena was already, we already got yeah. the point about Lena being betrothed to the Sea Lord, Sea Lord's son. Yeah. So he's she's already betrothed. I mean, maybe we've already just skipped past that dude being killed. Yeah, he, he, might, <laughs> he might not currently be betrothed right now, yeah. but she was. And they didn't say like they said she was being betrothed. We didn't see. We we haven't followed up on that. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I think I, I, the, that Sea Lord of Bravos's son is just going to die during the ten year interim. They may refer to it. Yeah. But it looks like at the end of the 10 year, we're just going to start Whereas with like, Lena and Damon will just be married and they'll just have to explain what with, happened. With how flirtatious Lena was with Damon at the at the feast, it made it seem like perhaps she wasn't betrothed right there and what yeah, had eyes for or, him. Or was totally willing yeah. to be like, can I get out of this betrothal? Because yeah. I'd much rather be with you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next up. Untitleist. Should, should, you should reach back out to... Uh, um, uh, will we find out if the Caltrops will make an appearance? This is in reference to our interview with Ryan Condal, and are we going to see the Dragon Seeds? Yeah. So, I'm pretty sure we'll see the Caltrops. I mean, Lord Hobart Hightower has maybe replaced the having two characters of Ormond and Hobart, so we kind of wonder if Hobart will still be the one to drink with Ulf the White and poison him. Uh, so I think that's still going to happen pretty sure we'll still see that because the Caltrops are definitely going to want to remove uh, Hugh Hammer and Off the White and we'll have plenty to say about that at the time but yeah I think that's still going to happen I think it's just really important and they want to have all these dragons we know we're going to see all the dragons basically so that probably includes seeing all these other dragon riders like I don't suppose we'll see have Vermithor and not have Hugh Hammer because What's the point of Vermithor being around at all? So yeah, I think we'll see all that. They they've cut. They they seem to want to cut very little, um, and what they have cut seems like aren't things of this size. That would be the biggest thing I've heard of being cut so far. <laughs> mm-hmm. If that gets cut, 
Jane J says, are those the same tapestries Littlefinger has brought to the Vale? This is referring to the new tapestries from Kohor and Norvas that were that Allison was suggesting Damon take a tour of that prompted well, Viserys to I think laugh. To be clear, I think there's multiple tapestries or paintings oh, okay. or murals that people are referring to. There's the ones okay. from Norvas and Kohor, and then there's also these sexy ones behind Allison's bedchamber that have been there before. Are those, those tapestries or murals? Those are murals, but I okay. think that people sometimes call them tapestries, so I wanted to be clear that there's all, that they're, I think those are murals on the wall, not the tapestries, yeah. but that there were also separate new tapestries from Norvas and Kohor. Just that. Either way, the tapestrying, the tapestrings, the tapestries yeah. Littlefinger brought to the Vale were Robert's hunting tapestries. Yeah. Not, they weren't Targaryen tapestries. So probably not. Those, those are specifically ones that have Baratheons, including, yeah. you know, Robert himself. Yeah. So. Whereas no. these Norvasi and Norvashi and cohoric tapestries are probably cool things in Norvas and Kohor, but yeah. maybe it was like something they commissioned of Targaryen things too. But my, my envision, my headcanon is that these are like, tapestries of things from across the seas so it would have been cool to look at hmm. damon should have should have gone and seen it sophia a says in reference to our joking about the royce runes just being from the wikipedia page on runes <laughs> she says to be fair they may have also been wanting to keep the royce runes consistent with those in game of thrones since we do see runes on yon royce's cloak in the main series and those were also real world nordic runes so yeah maybe that was just an issue of consistency they just wanted to say all right well we'll just use the same runes they used and those are the same runes they use. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. And that's not a big deal either way, but uh, that's a good catch. We didn't know that. Um, didn't know that about the original uh, show. So cool. Yeah. That's very much. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. We're at about uh, one hour in, so we'll um, take care of a quick shout out or two and then get back to the questions. Would love to shout out our lovely patrons. Um, we do that. Uh, we used to do this a little more regularly. Uh, we do it during our scripted episodes still. And we'll bring it back every once in a while as well because our patrons are such a great group and we want to make sure they get their due. Yeah, so dig in, everyone. We're about to hear Aziz read a lot of names. Yeah, well, not too many here at the, oh, the midpoint, okay. mostly at the end, okay. but there'll be a few, there'll be a few, we get the mid-roll section here where All we got right. a couple. We got Koho Koei called Sun Piercer, wielder of a dragon bone bow. We got, uh, Kokavo the Tamer, wielder of the Wildfire Whip Gehenna. We got screenwriter Catherine Van Pelt, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Quill, slayer of unoriginal screenplays. And we've got our, uh, where did they go? We've got our Queens of Love and Beauty from the depths of Flea Bottom. Lord Ken of House Hammer has declared for Queen Carrie, Fire of the North, who recovered Dark Sister from Beyond the Wall. And a Laurel of Glory in the name of love to Bud of House Beresford, Knight of Tolkien, and Arbiter of Scotch from Sandy the Dragon, Blood of Queen Daenerys, and Lady of Jameson. Yeah. Also, we've got a couple of our... Excellent, uh, sellsword captains, Peter Blaze of the Emerald Isle, captain of the Werewood Wanderers to Long Lives, Quick Deaths, Cold Beer, and Warm Women. Dagron, Marshal of Yaks, captain of the Red Tide, Resistance is Futile. Chiron Callsbane is captain of the Stone Shields, the Torrent Breaks Upon the Stone. Hema Helminth, captain of the Whispering Children, Dead Men Tell No Secrets. 
Shepard, the Shepherd of Essos, all men are sheep before the Shepherd, heir to the Whispering Children. Lady Lajara Dajo, the Iron Lily, Master Archer, Castellan of the Summer Island Keep, Arboreal Point, C Captain of the All-Female Wailing Widows, Women and Children First. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Blackrune is Captain of the Shadow Wolves, Our Steel is Cold, Our Vengeance Colder. Black Alex Sand is the Bastard of Spears, Leader of the Bermuda Vanguard. Vorian of House Betterfetter is Captain of the Golden Fetters. We face oppression with style. Aegon, the underestimated captain of the Clanking Dragons, our Clank is Clank as Clank. And Lady Sarah Connolly, the willful wit beyond measure, is man's greatest treasure, Jenny's patron. More shout outs at the end. I love reading those names. It's been a little while since we've done them mm -hmm. on a live stream. Mm -hmm. But we love to show love. And we love that you all show love to us. All right. Lots of questions. Let's get back to it. Stannis Baratheon says, "History. Uh, a lot has been made uh, about Damon's ED issues. What do you think the showrunners are trying to tell us? Is he only willing to impregnate Valyrians? Well, I mean, Rainier was one of the ones he couldn't get yeah. it up with, too, and she's Valyrian. But I did have that briefly have that thought, too. Like, maybe it's only dragon riders, but I think, Cyrax, I mean, he's, yeah, she's no, got yeah, Cyrax. She's a, she's a dragon rider. I think it's just meant to indicate that he's more complex emotionally and has a lot on his mind than than you think. You know, like I, 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 to me, that's what I take from it is that Damon isn't just like he can't just like put things out of his mind and, and work and, and get things to work I, without being too um, uh, graphic with it. But <laughs> I, he, he's he, he's a thinker. He's, he's he's thinking about all of these things. He feels guilty about things going on in his life. That's what it says to me is that there's something simmering below the surface for him. I guess I don't know about you, Aziz. I think that's pretty good a pretty good explanation it certainly seems to fit like all the different situations whereas, like i guess whereas i think that once he feels a little less conflicted and a little like I, I he will clearly have children and he clearly has success sometimes so it's not like he's just impotent that's his life it's like sometimes he can't get it up yeah it may also make some people wonder about you know like w what he's capable of it also i think it does but i think it really does it shows that he has other gears like if it was yeah. just this you might some people might think he was just some sort of psychopath you know yeah, or like, like a sociopath but no yeah. like this this is not a trait a person without empathy would have yeah, it's he, like he, he may not have yeah. a lot of empathy but he has yeah yeah exactly I, that's exactly it that uh a, a less complex person would just have been able to get it up with Rhaenyra right there and that would have been the, the situation but Damon as much as he wanted to you know deflower her and and make it so that she, she had to marry him or whatever his 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 like plans were he couldn't do it he still felt somewhat guilty over it yeah chad summer trial says haven't watched the newest episode yet did damon kiss rainier starting the fight someone said that i don't think that's what started the fight no i think it's i don't think that that would have started the fight i'm not sure why Joffrey Villar, Joffrey Lonmouth would be the issue if Rhaenyra and Damon are well, kissing. You know? I think that if Kristen saw Rhaenyra and Damon kissing, he might have exploded right then and there. Like I do think that that could have caused him to explode to Joffrey, who was right next to him, and they were just having a conversation. Yeah, it would fit. I, 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 think, I think that could better work. fits than that. Probably we don't but, see, but we don't know. Yeah. you know, we don't see Damon and Rhaenyra kiss, and we don't. So we don't know whether that actually happened. We just see Damon like squeeze her face up. Um, Presumably, they were both distracted by the commotion as well. As soon as it yeah. broke out, like they were interrupted. Yeah. Before he could progress. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that is it's very ambiguous. But I personally don't think that's what started the fight. But mm -hmm. it, it's it's I don't know if we can rule it out. But I yeah, no, I, I think this is a situation where if you 
want to believe that that's what caused Kristen to break, if that's the satisfying answer for you, then then believe that. Yeah. Then and, there's no one that's there's no where we're not gonna see how that actually broke out. So you can believe what you want to believe yeah. to make it believable. Honestly. That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And we will have a little, we'll have a, a bit more to say about Kristen here coming up a little later. Mm-hmm. Devil's Advocate book first show cue. The book had Damon at the Stepstones when Rhea died, implying he may have had something to do with it or may not have. A show, we see him clearly there. Was it murder or mercy death? Well, I mean, it was ultimately murder given he did kill her. He may yeah. not have been aiming to, for her to die in that moment falling off her horse. I think there's a pretty strong case to be made that he was going to kill her at some point. Uh, he intended it, but wasn't. It wasn't premeditated in that moment. Doesn't mean he didn't have that intent. Uh, the show. It, it is harder to tell in the book because, yeah, sir, he could have sent an agent to do it. Yeah. Certainly, he sends agents to kill with the with blood and cheese. But the thing is, those aren't his agents. He he contacts Mazzari and says, "Hey, can we do this?" And Mazzaria sends the agents mm-hmm. to kill those poor kids. Uh, or well, one kid, whatever. Yeah. And. Uh, so I don't know that Damon has those kind of connections to send agents to murder ladies of, of high status. Um, so I, I'm a little skeptical about that, but it's another thing you can't rule out. Um, it's, it's possible, but I, I, I'm, I say no to him doing it in the book. Mm-hmm. Yes, to him doing it in the show. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get around that. <laughs> Even if you think it wasn't his initial intent when he got there. Yeah. Uh, he, he did it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. The more I think about it too, the more like the, this is, you've had multiple people suggest the idea that Damon knew that the smell of dragon would startle the horse. And the more I strongly, I feel that that would be the case. Cause I think Damon would be well aware that horses shy away from the smell of him after he gets off a dragon. Yeah. It's entirely possible. Yeah. And the other thing is that he, you know, he's wearing his big cloak and everything, which is more That's clothing already, to yeah. have more dragon stink on him. Maybe. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's, it's definitely possible. Yeah. Um. I like that idea. I like that idea, too. Uh, Liam Gabsey says, do you think Blood and Cheese would be a great season end or a great season opener? Well, I think it'd be pretty amazing either way. It's going to be savage, but I think it's going to start next season. I think it'll yeah. be the, the opener. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, season two, episode one, maybe at the latest episode two, but probably episode one. In part because of the logistics of casting. Like, they will, they won't, this, by waiting till next season, they can avoid casting some of the characters that are crucial to that scene. Like, Blood and Cheese themselves. Yeah. Or even, uh, they haven't, brought in Jaharis and Jahara yet, those kids. Like, they could wait on them, potentially, mm. uh, or just have them be little babies and barely be seen the rest of the season, like Helena's has barely been seen. Yeah. Um, I probably will see more of Helena this year, because we're going to see plenty of Aemond, but anyway. We, we, we know there'll be a teen Helena and then an adult Helena, so yeah. we, we have two Helenas left to see. So I think I think the season ender is Vagar Arax, the half, the thing that sets up Blood and Cheese. Storm's End, yes. Yeah. Which was set up with the Blackwood Bracken fight there, uh, which will resemble it in a lot of. Actually, I have a great new catch on that. I've been re-listening to Fire and Blood like constantly for the things like that. What does Gerald say to get Blackwood to finally turn around? He's like calls him a craven, oh, and he pulls uh, out his sword. He's like, that's what Maris Baratheon says to Aemon to get to egg Aemon on to this <laughs> conflict. Maris is like, oh, I'm glad you didn't pick me. I want a whole man. And you like, he, what did he, uh, you, you know, he take your balls or something? Yeah, yeah. He's like, are you a craven? So she calls him a craven and that's what gets Aemon to pursue Luke for his revenge. You know, it's the back to the future style thing, right? 
What's that? Oh, it's the Back to the Future style. You you calling me yellow? You calling me a coward? You calling me a crazy? You know, whatever the whatever. No matter what movie, no matter what scenario, Marty McFly deals with someone calling him a coward, and he just can't let it lie. Even though that would be the best scenario, is just yeah, sure, I'm a coward. Ignore it, but he cannot, and that's what happens here. I'm going to have to edit some and make a meme of that when that happens eventually, perhaps. (laughs) Sandy Hardcorn says, the rats are great on three levels. Gray rat maester foreshadowing, number one. Two, giving a reason to hire a rat catcher, number two. Three, can show activity in the Red Keep secret tunnels, stirring them from their usual spot. Good points, yeah. We brought up the rat catcher thing. That's what Cheese is. He's a rat catcher, which, of course, leads to there being no rat catchers, which is why there's cats in the the (laughs) era later when Arya... Is it the Red Keep chasing cats? Because the cats, of course, it's Otto Hightower that replaces the uh, the rat catchers with cats, <laughs> I believe. So another reason to actually give Otto a few yeah. points. He's a cat guy. Yeah, good job, you're, Otto. You're right there. I I can't fault Otto for introducing cats to the Red Keep because <laughs> that is a net positive. Yeah, like you got to give Otto credit for that one. He's yeah. the reason there's cats in the Red Keep. Or you could actually you could give credit to Damon and Mazaria because they're the ones. <laughs> <laughs> really triggered. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all the cats. But uh, yeah, and of course the gray rat maester foreshadowing is really good. That keeps that theory alive. It yeah. lets, gives that gives that a little juice, a little energy, a little boost. And I didn't think of the actual hiring the rat catcher. I thought of how that was foreshadowing for that, for that being a plot point. But actually, maybe like, that's why they need it to be needed. Yeah, yeah, that that's I what didn't I, think yeah, of. Yeah, and we talked about it. We did talk about that in a previous. I kind of assumed they were already yeah. in in their like, employ, but yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe they weren't. Like, yeah, just no, like I think those, it's that. I think it's that. Yeah, they don't have any rat catchers employed right now. Becoming like the master whispers, where it maybe is an an official position yet. It's something that they've used, but isn't like a seat at the council yet. Maybe Mary Laris is the first official Master of Whispers. They don't have an official rat catcher until then. Uh, uh, Kizzy sends a super chat and says, Have you guys seen the scene they just released? I think from next week, Allison summoning Ray right after birth to see the child. That is cold as ice. Yeah, that is cold as ice. Making her walk up those stairs, like a, making a pr- woman who just gave birth have to like walk to see you and present your child. I'm not defending Allison here, of course, but I think part of the reason is here that this is her third child and Allison's like, is this one also going to look like a, a strong? And she wants to just... Yeah, I mean, Allison could go see it herself then. Yes, um, absolutely. So that's Allison why, could that's get why you're, not, you're not excusing this, exactly. but that is the reasoning is that Allison is like, well, is, is, you know, I really like the idea of, of Rhaenyra just like get some silver paint. Just, like, <laughs> Spray paint the kid's hair. Yeah, like, it's like, he'll grow out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So now what's important there, too, is let me reference a question a little later on. I had said I'd save this one. So I need a second to find it. Yeah. Uh, but well, it, it refers to this. I'll say that. Look at Lanor. He's got some nice, better hair. Some people complain about mid Lanor's wig. But I think older Lanor has some great looking hair right here. So we referenced. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> that's that's a handsome man right there. Oh, uh, we okay. we talked about how some people talked about how the you know the the issue of Joffrey being killed and how it's kind of unfortunate that this this gay character is killed as soon as he's introduced and all that. Yeah, of course, Joffrey or of course Lenor being who he is will have no trouble finding another lover. Not that yeah, that's, that's true. Whether that's he does or not, you know, but yeah, yeah, and we're pretty sure he will given Fire and Blood, but we'll see. Uh, but Joffrey's story isn't over. There is a footnote, and it's interesting how this comes right to the scene that is baby joffrey this baby that we see in that scene this is the third born luke and jace are already around at this point so that is joffrey named after joffrey lonmouth and remember in fire and blood 
he wanted the firstborn to be Joffrey. He wanted the secondborn to be Joffrey. And they're finally like, okay, you can, you can have the thirdborn be Joffrey. He wanted that to be the first one. But even like Corlys was like, no, no Joffrey for the first kid. We need a Valarian name. He's going to sit the throne. Yeah, yeah. And all that. No, no Joffrey, you know, yeah. <laughs> but you can uh, have a Joffrey not later. Not spare either, but yeah. after the heir and the spare, now we'll have a Joffrey. And they didn't have as good a reason. So, to but it works it. out well that this is when they're, they're going to do this time jump straight from Joffrey's death to Joffrey's birth. Yeah. So that's kind of a neat. So that does actually emphasize the importance of this character a lot more. So I think maybe that's something that, that some folks will appreciate as a bit of a pushback against the the pain of that moment. It's like, well, they're at least they're not yeah. just dropping the story. Like he's yeah. getting remembered, and this character is going to exist for a while, even though Joffrey also has a tragic end. No. Most of these characters do. So hey, what yeah. are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, which that is where I get to with it. Is like, yeah, every, everyone's going to die. Yeah, let's not. Uh... <laughs> Let me now scroll back to where I was. Oh, uh, yes. We were okay. at mid Yeah. Um, okay, so Ryan Beagles pushes back a little bit against the point I made regarding Rhaenyra being excited to be recognized as a boy and we, how we compared that to Arya. Ryan points out that Arya didn't like being called a boy, whereas oh. Rhaenyra does. Arya wants to be uh, do things that are traditionally boy things. But she doesn't, she's still a girl and she doesn't have any like confusion about that, right? Yeah. She's a girl and she just does things that are traditionally associated with boys. Whereas Rhaenyra, you get the sense that kind of like Cersei, she might yeah. want to be a man because then she would be respected as the heir that she is and she would get the treatment she knows she deserves. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, Arya doesn't have much of that sense that she actually actually wants to be a man. Yeah. She doesn't have that gender conflict where Rhaenyra kind of does. She's like, well, if I was a man, then this, they wouldn't be messing with me. Just like she would, she just, she wouldn't be asking Kristen, like, will, will the realm accept me? She would be like, of yeah. course the realm will accept me. I'm yeah. a man. They always yeah. accept Her lover wouldn't have been like, give up your air spot and run away with, you know, her, yeah. her lover would have just been okay. This is our, this is my lot in life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's a really important point. Thank you, Ryan Beagles for that one. Good call. Um, very good clarification there. Donnie Stotts says, are we sure that Lady Mazaria, and she says, <laughs> he calls him Lady Miz, which I like that. Lady <laughs> yeah, Miz, Lady Miz, Miz, yeah. And Otto, are we sure they weren't already working together? Maybe the Prince for a Day comment was a communication between those two. Do we know how Otto got that info? Obviously, lots of people were there, but can we rule her out? No, we no, definitely can't. We cannot rule her out. She could have There's... been, seen, like, they may have been what got her started on, look, this information is very valuable. I could make money more off money off of secrets yeah. than the uh, the skin trade, as she put it. Uh, yeah um yeah there's that op there's there's that conversation there's the actual example we have where she did feed auto information and there's been one i've seen people talk about on um twitter which is that damon in when talking in the small council to auto and others he makes his joke about Rhea being uh the sheep being prettier than Rhea than the women in the veil and then lady later Rhea repeats that in my opinion that isn't a case of auto disseminating weird uh, gossip about Damon. Damon just said that in a bunch of public places. But to, but you yeah. could choose to look at that as an example of uh, of Otto sharing information about Damon. And I think part of the reason Damon did that, as an aside, and this relates to his, the ED comments, is that he's trying to keep that under wraps. Like, he was like, oh, why you're not... Because normally it's... In Western, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you don't have children, it's yeah. it's a lot of times it's the man's fault. They'll yeah. say, "Oh, you're not man enough to father children." Yeah. So he's put he's like preempting yeah. this talk about 
that so would lead to him being less of a man. Her. Yeah, of course. So he's like, blaming her. Yeah, he's blaming her. And then you get a look at her and you're like, like she's beautiful. Yeah, she's pretty. She's very, very beautiful. But when you put yourself into that scenario of it's their wedding night, Damon said something rude or did something. They go to bed and she's not immediately amenable. He feels weird about the whole thing and can't get it up. Even then she makes a, a joke. She laughs. She does something that is not the right reaction for him then, and then it's just done. Like, he never wants to try again. He's just too ashamed. He never, yeah, yeah and he's like, uh, and, and so, so then he makes up these stories so about he says those jokes. that harsh environment, and the women look like sheep and all that stuff. It's like, those must be some good-looking sheep. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we, we really, it's just, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, good call, Donnie. Yeah, absolutely, Otto and Lady Misery could have been working together sooner, and we might find that out. We Because if Otto returns to... King's Landing. Is he going to reconnect with her and find that that's going to backfire because she'll also be working with Damon? Um, and I really want to see about that. Is, is, is Damon going too far when he reveals the secret passes? He's the one who knows about the secret passes. So far, he's the only one that's shown proficiency with the secrets of the Red Keep. Yeah. So in order to uh, facilitate the Blood versus Cheese assassination, he's going to have to tell her about those passages and that... Opens a lot of potential for future villainy yeah. <laughs> or at least spying or yeah. whatever. And that might be, you know, so that would be an example of Mazzari backfiring on Otto, perhaps, mm -hmm. um, in the sense. Yeah. Lynn S. says, the ruby crown is interesting as it reflects the fire and blood theme and big square cut rubies keep showing up in the books. Rhaegar's rubies, Melisandre's ruby, and Illyrio has given Aegon a collar with three square cut rubies as well. That's, of course, Fagon, <laughs> young Griff. They seem to be a jewel that can concentrate or enhance fire magic in particular glamour. So I wonder if Illyrio has something up his sleeve. I'll be curious to see if Rhaegar's armor has fallen into Illyrio's hands and possibly been reworked with spells by Tabo Mott. Renly's armor as well comes to mind. Now, I'm not trying to get too much into a Song of Ice and Fire theories. It's a little off topic. But we are going to see Aegon's crown really soon. And given that the show has pushed upwards the fantasy supernatural elements rather than flattened them like the original show did... I would not be against seeing some reference to that of the power of rubies, the uh, the some sort of re some sort of vagueness associated with that. If not, just like outright comments about it, like yeah, well, my our family believed that rubies could do this and that, and so they're used for this and that. And yeah, I, I think there's a chance we get into that. I don't think, and, and that may eventually enable us to speculate more on things like Illyrio and, and other things like that. Right now, it's a cool idea, but I'm not sure what to do with it. But I do like bringing it up because, yeah, the show might, <laughs> might might do something with that. I wouldn't have guessed that before. You know, I wouldn't have guessed that Aegon's prophecy would be a part of the show. I'm very pleased to see that it is, mm -hmm. considering that they're handling it well, that is, you know. Yeah. Moby Dick of open of dopeness, dopeness. not <laughs> of openness. That's a cool name. Moby Dick of dopeness says, what I find interesting is how quickly everyone jumps to Viserys is a bad king comments. I agree. He comes across as weak and he's quick to throw bad news aside to keep things jovial, but he's been a king for a good while and no great tragedies have befallen his kingdom. No major wars, no major famines. He's brought the greatest disgruntled house back into the fold and kept the rest there. No one's complaining that the realm is starving or anything of the sort. If it weren't for how he handled his succession, he'd be remembered as a shorter lived Jaehaerys. Frankly, the only reason the realm is in position to start a war over succession is like Rhaenyra said in the first episode. Rainies, things yeah. are sorry, Rainies had said in the first episode. Things have been peaceful so for so long. Everyone is just sort of itching for the chance to prove themselves in battle. Nearly a century of peace is everyone bored and looking for a reason to war. I sort of agree with what you're saying there, Moby Dick of Dopeness, but I think that it's the old example of 
if you're a business and you need a loan, the best time to ask for a loan is when you're doing well. Banks will not loan you money to save your ass. They'll loan you money to when you're doing well because they see it as an opportunity for themselves. It's kind of a similar line of thinking. When things are at their best, that's the time to improve things, to prepare for the bad times, to worry about what could come because there's no chance that it will always stay good forever. When you're at your best is the best time to prepare. And he's not really doing that. He's not like building roads or like yeah. that's why J. Harris is remembered. He he can he ended the bad times and then he and his staff uh, I give his staff more credit for making for making the advancements for the the things that facilitated future peace. While I give J. Harris full credit for being the one to create peace in the first place. But I think it's more Alisan and Barth that, that did the forward, were the more forward yeah. thinkers in that regard. But either way, whoever you give credit to, I don't see these things happening under Viserys. I don't yeah. see him using the great position they're in to improve the realm. Yeah, he's reaping the benefits of everything in the previous. That, that's why his, his reign is, is relatively, you know, very peaceful is because of what Jaehaerys, Alisan, and Barth did, not because of what Viserys did. Yeah, he's kind of riding their coattails still. Um, and yes, it's true, he hasn't been tested in the sense that there's these awful things have happened for him to respond to, but he's kind of failed the test of what to do when things are good. And he yeah. hasn't... Yeah, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't call him a bad king myself, I just call him a mediocre king. Yeah, I think that's fair. For, for me, personally. I know some people are calling him a bad king. The bar's king. pretty low. I think of him as a mediocre <laughs> king and a mediocre father... And just like a mediocre like person raising an heir, he's a better man um, than a king. Yeah, yeah, way. yeah. And I and I think he's a decent man. I, I don't think he's a mediocre man. Yeah, I would agree with that. That he is, you know, he he's trying to do decent. He's trying to do good. He's like his intentions are for the most part pretty good. Yeah, I don't think he's just that good at it. Like yeah. uh, again, he's not bad at it either. He's also really yeah. sick as he's dealing that's with true. all this. That, that's you know, true. like it's. I have to imagine that that weighs on him in addition to the weight of the prophecy, just like how we give Rhaenyra credit for like this this weight on her. I have to imagine that it, it affects Viserys greatly as well. Yeah, and of course he also has the weight of the prophecy, which is not a thing that we would have attributed to him having just read Fire and Blood. And that brings us to a comment from Geek Furious who says, people seem to forget that pretty big thing in this adaptation of Fire and Blood where Viserys has told Rhaenyra about the Song of Ice and Fire. That has to be on her mind at all times too, unless they only decided to introduce it for connective reasons and we're not supposed to think she takes it seriously. As of now, I take it that this is on her mind. She has to be queen. And that regard, yeah. that's regarding her, whether she um, accepts Kristen's offer to run away, that yeah. no, Rhaenyra is, is taking this very seriously as her responsibility. Yeah, and that is very that is a really important point is not just to apply to Rainier, but to apply to Viserys as well. That he's part of why he's a little more focused on things like the Second Age of Dragons, is he really wants to make sure Targaryen supremacy is maintained because yeah. the prophecy says it needs to be, but, uh, at least or his interpretation of it or his yeah. great grandfather. And as audience members, we can see all the ways that he's failing. But I, I have to think that if we were in worlds and didn't have all this information, I don't think that he would look like he was failing. Is obviously like I think we might be like, oh well, he he made a deal with Corlys and Rhaenys and Lionel was there to like he is thinking of the succession and trying to deal with it, but probably we're about to see in this next episode when he sees what Rhaenyra has wrought in terms of her legacy <laughs> he's a lot of people are going to like his stance but I think a lot of other people are also going to be like yeah but like that's nice in theory but he has to recognize that the realm is not going to listen and like he has to be you know honest with himself and I don't think he is right yeah, yeah I agree like, yeah yeah totally 
Um, from Mandit. Aegon's prophecy should not be interpreted as there must be a Targaryen on the throne to fight the others, but rather there will be. And the fact that Targaryens chose to interpret it as must be rather than will be kind of strengthens yeah. their sense of entitlement. Man, it's not really a question, but it's oh, a no, good, yeah. I like that interpretation. It's a very, cause I'm looking for very simple ways that Aegon could have made it more about him or gotten it wrong. And that's a really good one because it is simple and it's a really easy way to inter- misinterpret because it's, it's dreams. Like Aegon didn't dream of like text saying there must be a Targaryen, <laughs> right? He didn't dream of like a contract. He dreamed of, I don't know. He probably dreamed of like a final battle and there was a Targaryen on the throne. So he said, okay, well, we need to make sure that this prophecy happens. Whereas a different cool school of thought for prophecy would say, no, it's a prophecy. It's going to happen no matter what you do. So just live your life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think it was a very much a let's ensure that this happens. Yeah. I like that call a lot. Thanks, Mandeet. Good call. Uh, Alex Mule says this, all this sets up the pact of ice and fire really well. The Aegon's dream. It adds to that theme or that plot line, which is in fire and blood. The pact of ice and fire. The notion that Jace married Sarah Snow, like in a no. Rhaegar, Lyanna vibing sort of Rhaegar or, or, you know, uh, mm. Danny John or maybe there's a lot of different vibes there. Even Rob and Jane Westerling because of, and the, the fact it would be a broken marriage pact to make that happen. So there's a lot of vibes there that fit other plot lines that we're very familiar with. And tying that, associating that with prophecy makes a lot of sense, given that they've set up the prophecy and emphasized it even more. I have to think that's definitely going to be a part of it. Maybe Jace will tell Lord Cregan about it oh, or yeah. and or Sarah Snow. Yeah, I know. That's going to be so exciting for everyone. Yeah. Like all the Stark stands are just like hibernating as, <laughs> as it were <laughs> during winter. Um, but yeah, they are. They're just like ready. And season two, episode one is going to happen. And we're probably going to see Winterfell, I would guess, in the first or second episode. And I'd be like, surprise, we're watching the show too. Stark stands activate. Uh Andy Coley says, what has been the biggest diversion from the source material in terms of book to show? It might be this, the prophecy stuff. Yeah, you're right. I th- it might be the prophecy stuff. I think for me, the answer is the difference in ages between Alicent yeah. and Rhaenyra because it has a lot of like a butterfly effect type thing where it affects how Rhaenyra and Alicent's relationship is, but it also affects how Alicent and Viserys seem, how Viserys and Lena, Lena and Rain, like it just, it has this, this effect uh, on a lot of characters, not just, um, the two characters, um, Alicent and Rhaenyra. Yeah. So I think for me, I would still say that, but the prophecy is a good one because it does have an effect on Viserys and Rhaenyra and conceivably eventually Damon and Rhaenyra's children. You know, it has an effect on a number of characters beyond, but I don't think it has an effect on quite as many characters. I think another one that occurs to me is changing this, the Great Council a little bit to make it Rhaenys and Viserys rather than mm, Rhaenys yeah. or Vis- Lenor and Viserys. Yeah. Rhaenys' son and Viserys is how it was originally planned. So that makes a big deal because it, it really more emphasizes the the patriarchy aspect of it and that the, the realm is against a woman, which and of also course I, sets up that conflict a, b- a little better. All three of these changes, I'm very much in favor yeah. of, very pro. Good I think changes. they were for the, be- for the best. Um, they added a lot of like thematic resonance in the case of um, the Rainies change, or they added um, a greater uh, emotional richness and depth in the case of the Alicent Rhaenyra ages or so on. So no, I think that, or in the, the prophecy as well, which like, yeah, that also like, 
did the trick of catching the eye of a lot of, of fans who were like, oh, what is this now? And that like captured imaginations. But it also has such great meaning for the characters themselves more significantly. So yeah. now I'm super on board with the major changes that they've made. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really, there hasn't been, there haven't been many changes that I was, I'm like, about like, yeah, I would like to have seen more of Lena and Vagar. Like, that's my big, like, cr- 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 criticism as of now. And that's like, really just like, I want more of the good <laughs> stuff you're giving me. Uh. <laughs> uh, related to that, Ashton Johnson, shout out to Fox and Brambles. What's something you wish we could have seen? That we didn't. Yeah. Well, uh, something we really almost saw that didn't see was uh, Lena getting Vagar. <laughs> yeah, because that was a deleted scene that was cut, apparently. Yeah, so we might actually see it if it's yeah. released as a yeah. extra. Yeah, we might see it. Um, so I, I can we can hope so. That 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 would be my something that I wish we could have seen. Um, and the other things that I really want to see, we wouldn't have seen yet anyway. So it remains to be seen if they keep. Like for example, I care a lot about seeing Gaiman Palehair and his mother's uh, Essie and Sylvana San. That's a very important plot line to me in the books. One of my favorites. I would be very sad if we don't see it, but I, I do recognize that like we might not see it. So we'll see. Yeah. Um. As far as another one, maybe I mean mushroom. You know, maybe yeah. we, but we still might yeah. see him. You know, yeah. that's not a big. That's not a big one. Um, and there's like, and you can choose to believe that the guy, the drummer guy at the feast was mushroom. Like, I, which is a nice way to play it. I think that if you want to believe that mushrooms around, like doing stuff, you could choose to believe that that was him. And like, I don't think anything could go wrong with choosing that. One small scene that we're hoping to get. Ashton also asked this. I I'm related to mushroom. Maybe it's because I'm thinking of mushroom. I'm really hoping we get the the pants on fire moment because he you all know the phrase liar liar pants on fire. Well, there's yeah. a liar liar pants on fire in Fire and Blood where Mushroom says that he tried to mount one of the dragons during the Dragon Seeds uh, <laughs> saga, and he describes getting his pants getting caught on fire and have to jump into a well. Mm. So I'm like, yeah, liar, liar, pants on fire. So you yeah, did not another, do that, Mushroom. Yeah. I don't think you tried to mount a dragon. Although, but if if he was there and gets lit on fire a little bit, then that would be another fun way to throw in a Mushroom nod. Yep. There's certainly plenty of chances for them to continue. Like I think that would be cool is if like in any chance they had, they threw in like a random a dwarf like in, in the background there so People that you could like, be like, is that Mushroom or is that? Like you could have like do the six different Mushroom. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) have like six different mushroom possibilities, you know, like that would be pretty cool to me. (laughs) And remember that, what is it? Who is it that says that that fancies and tall tales or rumors sprout like mushrooms after Uh a rain? Yeah. Uh Yeah. I'd love I'd love someone to say that line (laughs) in lieu of full mushroom coverage. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Lucas Parham says, do you think it will be harder to believe that people were fooled by the strong kids parentage due to the show depiction of the Valerians? Yeah, I think that's a big part of why they made the Valerians black. It's a whole lot harder to be like, this kid is brown haired and white. <laughs> you <laughs> know, like, is like pretty light skinned, but he's still got very textured hair. Yeah. And silver hair, more importantly than any of the... Like, the hair the, is the most telling because like, they both have silver hair. Both yeah. have silver hair. So like... I, I mean, I, but I think that's the point is that the people aren't fooled. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no, it's not harder to believe that people were fooled. It's like, oh. It's an open secret. It's an open secret. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the deal. Sort of like Joffrey and Marcella and Tommen. Less so because that's more believable. 
uh, given like they just okay, they just all look like Lannisters, yeah. you know. And it's, it takes Ned Stark looking at the book to be like, hmm, all other Baratheon Lannister matches yeah. were Bar- the Baratheon hair came yeah. out, yeah. So yeah, like it is a stretch for them to ever believe that even one of these boys came from Lanor and Rainier just because of the brown hair, right? Yeah, that's why but you have like, to have lots of them to have but, the sample size is yeah. bigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so like at, at, when there's three of them, there's like this, this is damning. There's no way that this was the three of them because yeah, like without like it, it, I thought for sure that they were gonna have like Emma Aaron have brown hair. I thought they were going to have someone in the history have brown hair because we don't even have Rainies. And that's where I think the bigger flaw is, personally. Not in Black Valarians, but in not having brunette Rainies. Mm. I think that if she had had brown hair, they would have had an out where they could have said, oh, they take after their grandmother, Rainies, mm. or something like that. But they clearly chose not to do that on purpose, which points to me that they wanted there to not be an out. They want they, no out. Yeah, they, they want, no want it to be obvious. Yeah, yeah. that's why they changed Rainings' hair. I agree. That is um, why they changed Rainings' hair. Which, totally. I prefer the other way. I prefer the idea that there is an out person. Like, I want there to be like an out, and everyone's like, "Come on, like, really?" Would that be an out though? I mean, if they made her brunette, they would. But she's supposed to have black hair in Canada. Yeah, huh? black hair, and they have bl- brown black hair. Like to me, that's mm. close enough to have dark hair and silver hair. That that's enough of an out. That you can try to argue, like, they take after their grandmother, and everyone will be like, okay, not really, but good, nice try. Yeah. Whereas now they, they just literally don't have any out, really, to, yeah. to, in my opinion. I don't know what their excuse is, other than we're not even going to justify that with an answer. We won't even give you an excuse. Yeah. Um, which is, is valid. And that's kind of what, what Allison gets into. She's like, this is an insult. This is offensive. This is, there's no, covering this up this like she's not doing her duty and so i i don't know we'll see how it actually plays out sure. but yeah. i i think it works i yeah. I, I think it works for i sure. think it's great yeah it's a good it's a really good change it makes it, it makes it more visible like and they couldn't do the purple eyes because the first show already ditched the purple eyes yeah and it wouldn't be very visible anyway like you're yeah. like you gotta zoom in on the baby's eyes yeah, yeah. like you're, it's really obvious what you're doing you know like yeah. just to show the big kid doesn't have purple eyes yeah it's just not and even amongst Targaryen marriages, kids occasionally come out without purple eyes. So that that's just yeah. not as reliable anyway, for multiple reasons. So yeah, it just this this change makes a lot of sense. Um, speaking of uh, relationships and Emma Aaron, uh, it's important to note as well that Lady Jane Aaron is Rhaenyra's cousin because mm-hmm. there she's unspecified relationship to Emma Aaron. They're yeah, both probably Aarons. like yeah, Emma. I'm I'm guessing yeah, like, like her, her, her yeah, her niece or something. Yeah. They're like they're cousins. Yeah. Um, Either way, they're related. So like when we important. when we were making the jokes about Rainier saying Damon was her favorite uncle, and they were like, well, technically, Gwen Hightower is like her uncle. I think my guess is that she also has an Aaron uncle um on her mother's side. Yeah, uh, personally. So, um, let's see here. Damon and Rhea, though we, we covered the idea that the dragon smell was important there. It's in the notes here. But what about Kristen Bowers White, who says, what do you think of the show's choice to portray Damon as more of a villain than morally gray? Well, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I think he looks like less of a villain and more morally gray in the show than in the book to me. Yeah, I think he comes off as pretty villainous in the book already. <laughs> yeah, like to me, in the book, Damon was a villain. 
That, like, it was not very gray, despite people saying he was gray. I was like, well, if I'm reading what's on the text, he doesn't seem that gray to me. But in retrospect, seeing their portrayal of him on the show and comparing it to certain sections of Fire and Blood, like sections where it brings up how Damon, you know, defended Viserys' right to be king or him as ruler or whatever. There's certain lines where I'm like, yeah, I guess, like, I can extrapolate there that there is more complexity going on. So, no, I I don't think that he's more of a villain in the show. I, I, I think you can make the argument. I see where she's coming from because the 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 murders he sets up and things like yeah. that are more clear that he did such a thing. Yeah. Right? It's more clear. And like he's mm, doing a few things that we don't know for sure happened in the book that we now know he definitely did in the show. So maybe that's yeah. part of what she's saying. Well, I guess I, I just that. thought that he did sense. it in the books. Like I have to say, <laughs> when you said the thing about Ray Royce and how he was in the Stepstones, in my head... It, I was like Ryan Condal. Yeah, because Ryan Condal was like, oh, he did it. Yeah, like, in my head, right. it was an <laughs> oh, he did it thing, too. I assumed that Damon sent someone to deal with that. That that mm. was mine. I didn't, again, I'm not a Damon stan, so I really didn't put much thought into, like, well, what do I think Damon did, really? I just thought the worst of him. Uh, mm-hmm. I did. Um, and I and so, yeah, I, I, I think he comes off better to me, but I see how some people he comes off worse. I do. Right on. Uh, Robert S. says, Longtime listener, love your shows. I'm writing regarding King of the Narrow Sea. The episode was awesome, but one scene stood out to me. While Rhaenyra and Damon are in the city, the fortune teller asked her if she wants to know about the day she will die, and following there was a fire dragon breathing fire, like a, one of those little yeah, statue like things. Thing. That scene was just awesome for foreshadowing. Small details like that make the show awesome. Absolutely. You're right. Uh, Sean even noticed that, and he doesn't know what's going to happen, so we were like, we just had to be like, Mm-hmm. That's right, Sean. Okay. That's a good observation. But we're like, you're exactly right. That is how she's going to die. And, uh, and I totally agree that small details do help make this show really awesome because we as book readers appreciate that. We see those things. We probably have missed several because uh, they seem to be very good at including these, at taking single lines from Fire and Blood and putting them in. Uh, and using them really efficiently, effectively, without making a big deal out of it, but it just slides right in nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, f- a good example is just there's a ton of setup for Blood and Cheese, as we've already talked about during this episode. Yeah. Um, but it's not all just Blood and Cheese forcing. It's, it's setting up other things, like the gray rats for the maesters. It's like a you know, double meaning, which George is really good at, so I appreciate that they're also using a lot of double meanings, multiple overlaps, theories, things like that. Returning to Kristen Cole. Um, good catch by our friend Nobody Suspects the Butterfly. Check them out on Tumblr. Yes, uh, also at ASOF University. Yeah, ASOF University, that's her. Uh, Kristen's later line uh, in Fire and Blood is, They will turn the Red Keep into a brothel. No man's daughter will be safe, nor any man's wife, even the boys. We know what Lanor was. This sounds very much like Kristen Cole is homophobic. Yeah. That whether he was at that moment or just a light uncomfortable, you know, he might have just been uncomfortable, but yeah. like, I think he might have like, solidified into it that gives you a little extra setup for why he beat up joffrey quite possibly this may have been on his mind he may have just obviously it's not just this no (laughs) we're not saying that yeah this was a hate crime from Kristen cole what i think what we are saying is that Kristen was about to implode already he's torn up about this den of sin that he's a part of and how terrible it is and then this guy comes over to him and brings up how he's in a gay relationship with his 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 lover's love you know like new husband and like that compounds things to be like oh I, i'm really in it now whether consciously or not like i don't think that christian was like oh i'm gonna get this gay guy but i do think that he was like oh this is even worse like and and now like i'm involved in this and so then when it comes time to justify things, 
to himself just as much as to anyone else if he's like, oh, well, like, these these were sinners. Like, that's an easy way to, like, make it so that you don't just want to kill yourself for killing someone else. Yeah. Like, and that's not, and that's not me saying that that's a good thing for him to do. Right. It's just an explanation. Uh, I'm saying of, that's how, that's yeah. how someone justifies, like, terrible violence to themselves is, like, this is wrong for them to do that. And he knows, as we pointed out, he was thinking perhaps his own life was forfeit. He immediately, he goes to kill himself and is only stopped by Allison at the last minute. Uh, some d- good discussion I saw on Twitter. Uh, I believe a couple people were talking about it, but I think it was poor Quentin uh, Emmett Booth, who we had on for uh, our, predict- our prediction episode earlier. He points out that this is, maybe some of this is self-loathing. He saw Joffrey's a mirror. Like, this is a lover to the king's consort, and I'm the so-called lover to the queen, you know, uh, oh, the person who will be queen. And he sees a lot of himself in that, and he hates it, because he's like, I don't want to be that. And so... He wants to kill himself. He also wants to kill this other person who is kind of like a mirror image of him. And that that fits. And especially if you add the other aspects of him that he doesn't like. I think all the artsy has a great point here when they say if Lenor's love was a woman, would he have beat her face into a pulp too? I don't think so. No, you're That's totally right. Point. It's a fantastic point. There's no way Kristen beats up a woman like that. In, yeah. In, in public. I mean, yeah. I don't know that he would do it anyway, but definitely not like at a, at the cell wedding cell. No, but yeah. even he wouldn't. No, lose I don't his think he would have flipped temper like that. that much. Cause that's part of like how he's been taught. Like you don't, like you don't yeah, beat yeah. up women. Like that's that's a sin too. Like yeah, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I think you're. I think that's a great point that I don't think he would have flipped in that same way. That's um, a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Even if she was, even so it if it is, was, uh, which is again, you know, rooted in the, the the sex, the gender of it, and not so much in the queerness of it exactly. But it's so inextricable. Like you can't really separate the two things um, from one another. So yeah. I'll be curious if Kristen makes homophobic comments going forward in the show It'll certainly um, make people flee from yeah, praising him quickly yeah, yeah i think it will <laughs> be like oh, um, never mind i'm not a fan of him anymore yeah i think that'll probably happen anyway but yeah, <laughs> yeah be, i agree it would be um, really quick if, if that uh, <laughs> yeah if he says that line yeah in episode and, one, people and, are be like, Whoa. and again if we're thinking that allison <laughs> is gonna be a bit more deep into the religious side of things oh, yeah. and that might be an angle that she takes too. anything and, and, to push against her enemy yeah, yeah. And anything that's like, and she's like, this is immoral. This is whatever. Um, Even if she didn't go into yeah. all this believing that being yeah. gay is immoral, she yes. may decide to push that angle because her enemy is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. I, lo- I think that makes a lot of sense. It's not inborn homophobia. It's I can leverage this for support. Yeah. 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 It's, it's that. Yes. It's, agreed. It's more of cynical, it's not, cynical yeah. homophobia yeah. rather than like yeah. true homophobia. Uh, um, Thea M says another great parallel between Mazar- is between Mazaria and Kristen. Both are common folk at the mercy of power players. The difference is that Mazaria, they both get kind of screwed over, but the difference is Mazaria has enough brains to not be resentful and instead uses the situation to her advantage while Kristen just, as Thea puts it, will be crushed under the wheel and let his resentment wreck him. That's a good way to put it. Let his resentment wreck him. Kristen has the quote liberation that Mazaria wanted. As proven by what he's gotten away with, right? That's part of it. Like, Kristen was brought into the Kingsguard. He's like, the Kingsguard is like the secret service. More on that in a minute. Where you do have insulation from your own violence because of you are really high up in the authority figure level. You don't, you're not making policy. You're not making passing laws, but you have a lot of leeway to dispense violence and get away with it mm-hmm. because of your role. Um, it's kind of like a, if, if, if the Kingsguard does something, he must have been righteous to do it. 
Yeah, yeah. Right. It's, it's very much like that. Yeah. It's like what Richard Nixon said is like, if the president does it, then by definition, it's not illegal. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's what Kristen, just picture Kristen saying that or Allison yeah, saying yeah, that on his yeah, behalf yeah, or like Otto it, saying that. Yeah, like if the Kings Yard did it, he must have had a good reason that, you know, he clearly pulled a knife and he was jealous over his love lane or getting married to Rainier. And whatever argument they can make, it's really easy to justify a Kings Guard committing violence on behalf of the crown conceivably yeah so more on that in just a second i want to jump back to thea's point real quick which is really good yeah like it's how they react to being made into a quote-unquote horror is defines them like missouri's like i was fine with that because it was working for me it's good you know i could make it i could use that you know and, and she used that to jump move higher up in the world Kristen's just yeah he can't that is like, not for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I am not accepting this. So yeah, it's, she's right to point out that how they react to this is crucial, but they did start in kind of a similarish place despite their separation and gender. And of course, Kristen has Marshall's prowess, which goes a long way in Westeros. Mazzari yeah. doesn't have that kind of thing, but she did still find her way. Like selling secrets is a really, that's yeah. a making, talk about making yourself useful. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, more on Kristen Cole and how he escapes punishment. This is an important topic. I'm actually writing an episode for Indie Geek on that. We do. We've been doing that pretty regular these days, and I think that'll be a good short topic. Now, okay, so we brought up. Uh, I brought up a Secret Service, the U.S. Secret Service, for example. They're the ones tasked with protecting the president. So I think it's a pretty good analogy. <laughs> we just had a Secret Service scandal where they did stuff in the U.S. They weren't supposed to do. They deleted some messages. Mm. And it doesn't look like any of them are going to get punished at all for it. Yeah. You know, uh, the Praetorian Guard, the, the emperor's personal guard in Rome, they got so bad that they literally killed emperors and auctioned off the spot for the next emperor. And no one could stop them because if you are like, I'm the new emperor and I'm going to push back against the Praetorian guard not gonna kill you again <laughs> so like this is obviously way stronger than the king's guard has ever been but it just goes to show that the violence dispensers within an administration have way more leeway than we have and we, we have to keep that in mind again to use the real world an authority figure getting away with violence is very normal like that's <laughs> that's sad but true like cops get away with stuff all the time right um no. You know, there's there's good cops out there, but there's plenty of bad ones that just do n n awful things, and there's very little punishment for it. And that's not just police; all sorts of yeah. authority figures Doctors throughout history do bad things. Doctors, like, yeah. whatever. People like, in authority. Know, like, yeah. Authority. You're right. It, 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 no need to point to police specifically, but they're a good example. Uh, so, but also, it's who's got your back. Jamie got away with killing the king on the king's guard, and you could say, okay, well, yeah, but that's because he was married, to, or he's his family connection. And there was a, there Cersei's was a, influence there, over Robert. And there was an administration change. There was an administration change here. That's the only thing missing from this scenario. There's no administration change, but you still have the same thing. Cersei's influence over Robert is why Jamie got away with it. Alicent's influence over Viserys is crucial here. Alicent has reached out to Kristen, made him hers. Like, I saved your life twice now, Kristen. <laughs> she, he's going to be, like, super loyal to her, and she wants to make sure he stays that way and is in a position to be super loyal to her and her children. So she's going to use her influence as queen to be like, yeah, he gets away with this. And there you go. The powers that be 
want him to get away with I'm it. like, uh, <laughs> scenario, I, like, I, I get why people are like, why didn't anyone stop him as he left or whatever? Uh, uh, probably they didn't want to get beat the hell up too. Yeah, They're like, a dangerous man. Know, a dangerous man. Just let him go. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll collect him in a minute. Yeah. It's a matter um, of who's going to stop him. Yeah. Who's going to choose to <laughs> stop him? Guard? Like Harold Westerling, where, what's he doing? That's my, that's the person I really want to hear from in yeah, this scenario yeah, yeah, is Harold Westerling, um, personally, but, in my head canon, because again, I don't expect us to get some flashback or some conversation where they say, oh, remember 10 years ago, the night of Joffrey's death? Well, you argued this and I argued this. I don't really think that. In my head, this fight happened and immediately afterwards, Viserys is like, what's going on here? And Rhaenyra and Alicent were like, don't harm Sir Kristen. And then like, pretty quickly, Rhaenyra realized, oh, Kristen is not on my side after all. And like... She sides with Relaenor long term, but all it takes is if in that very night, when Kristen would have had justice dispensed, two people, then three people, because Harold too, or like multiple people, stand for him. And Viserys, as we know, is more likely to want to sweep it under the rug than make a big deal out yes. of it, especially in his current state of hell. He does not want to deal with things like that, especially if he doesn't realize what's really going on. Which yeah, so doesn't. I think if, <laughs> uh, assuming that... It's possible that, yeah, Corlys and Rhaenys and Laenor pushed really hard for justice and that this was a conflict, but it's also possible that in the moment, Corlys and Rhaenys did not want to bring eyes to the fact that their son's gay lover was just killed, yep. and they didn't want a he-said-she-said said exactly. situation, or he-said-he-said, said, really. They have to explain uh, why it's such a big deal that that guy, why it's such a big deal to Laenor, to the royal family, why it's such a big yeah. deal that this particular knight was killed, then they then that asked questions about, yeah, you're totally right, then he'd be like, well, he was... Lanor's lover and like oh yeah. they like, don't want to yeah you're right they don't want to spill that and then yeah there's an argument to be said like well Kristen punched Lanor too that was very much in the heat of things that for people to again just think about what the accusation and what the demands would be yeah. and how they say it do you really think that Corlys and Rhaenys and Lanor want to be like oh well he punched the prince consort the future king yeah like Lanor what Lanor couldn't stop this guy like that doesn't look good for Lanor either makes in him perception look weak. makes yeah. him look weak like you're all this mad over one punch like he's a knight and fought in the stepstone he's a dragon runner which he's supposed to wilt over just one punch to the face yeah he couldn't stop he you know so like, shoulder, yeah. <laughs> I can see why they might not have been like yeah let's not make this a huge public discourse across uh, you know everyone talking about this let's maybe move on um, from this is what I expect from it. But and, I also really yeah. don't expect us to get a, a blow by blow of what this conversation will have been. Also, either. and technically he wasn't yet King Consort. He yeah. was a, like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. To true. be King Consort. <laughs> he be. wasn't actually technically they married yet. They weren't married yet when he yeah. got punched. That yeah. is true. So he, yeah, yeah he has, he has, that's a good, like the legal argument. We're going to the legalese. That's what yeah. the lawyer, that's what the defense lawyer would say. Technically he was not King Consort at the time he was struck. Yeah. <laughs> and also true that like, Rainies and Corlys didn't necessarily see Lanor get struck. Did Lanor bring it up to someone that it was Kristen? Like in the heat of the battle, anyone could have punched Lanor, right? You know, like yeah. mm -hmm. who saw what? Who's reporting on what? We just don't know enough to be like, this is a clear plot hole that they don't do the thing. My point here is that if you can try to like sit for a minute and imagine what, how things could have gone down for this to not be a plot hole for you personally, I encourage you to do that like, uh, imaginative, uh, activity for yourself, for your own mental health. Um, because I yeah. know some people really think that this pulled them out of it and I don't think it has to. 
Yeah. And, and remember as well that ambiguity, like in a modern court of law, ambiguity is always on the side of the defense. Like if you, cause you have to, especially in like a U.S. court of law or any, any court system that uses innocent before proven guilty. And this is nothing like a modern court of law. It's though. not, but it's know, focus, it focuses the same way. The ambiguity still works yeah. in Kristen Cole's favor severely. Yeah. Um, so there's ambiguity and there's the reasons they want to keep it quiet. So there's, there's a lot of reasons there that he could get away yeah. with. I so think, the, I think that's, a, there's a yeah, lot. Yeah. You can reasons, choose to yeah. go with a, a, a mixture of all those reasons or one or whatever you want to believe to be honest um i've i've justified it in my mind and it is something that in my head yeah a little time spent on this conversation would be good but that's a really hard and potentially boring uh scene to try to script out and squeeze in and and balance for them to hash this all out whereas you can just pretend you 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 figured out what happened i don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe this next episode we're gonna see a conversation where they say you argued this and you are maybe we will get more into it i don't know yeah we'll see um, uh, Lucas Parham says, since Super Chat says, the first man seed is stronger than Valyrian. Liana beat Rhaegar and the Strongs. Stark <laughs> Also one out. Another L for Valyria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's old true. God, hashtag old gods for the win. Uh-huh. Can't argue with that, Lucas. <laughs> uh, I agree. No, all, those are all facts right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big what if. Like, what if John looked like a Targaryen? Yeah, he, they would have uh, had then, to handle that entirely yeah, differently. Yeah, he would not have. <laughs> yeah, it would have been very different. I don't think Ned would would have just taken him up north yeah, with would, him. You're going to send him to lease or something. Like. Yeah, it probably would have, that probably would have been what he had to do because he can't just keep shaving or dying his head, especially if it's colored eye. Like, yeah. That's what would have had to happen is Ned would not have taken that child home with him. He would have yeah. found someone to raise him away. Maybe like he would have been like, okay, Roderick. Promise or me, Ned. Something. Uh, yeah. Nah, I'm not going <laughs> to promise you. <laughs> Yeah. If this kid had black hair, though, I would promise you. <laughs> Bluebird and a lot of other y'all have wanted us to talk a little bit about or make references to Kristen Cole's offer as compared to some other similar situations, uh, or vaguely similar or or slightly similar or more than vaguely or slightly. Like Jorah and Danny. Jorah says, hey, Danny, let's run off together and just go east and forget about all this throne business. Uh, yeah, it is similar. Um, but except that Danny isn't into Jorah at all. <laughs> there is that problem with that. Yeah. Is that flaw in the idea that Danny, like Rainier, is into Kristen or was yeah, into Kristen? Into him there enough. was never actually any romance. Uh, well, it was one unrequited. It was a one-sided uh, love situation here. Also, it bears mention that Jorah, as much as I think he's loathsome <laughs> didn't just flip out and hate danny for being rejected he still stayed loyal to her which is he knew he was wrong to ask that's it. probably no, part of it whereas yeah. i Kristen felt like well of course she would she would be intrigued and interested in this answer he really seemed like he didn't he really did not seem like he thought she was gonna say no he yeah he was really like oh sure surely she'll accept this yeah no. he misread the situation, like, i mean yeah. in his head he's like this is how we'll both save our honor whereas jorah's like this is the, how i'll manage to be with you yeah and it's not like it's also a little different in terms of the usurpation situation here as well. Obviously, with Danny and Jorah and the, the Iron Throne being is that Danny has hardly even had never even set foot on mainland Westeros and all that, and the, the quest for the Iron Throne isn't actually a great idea, maybe. But anyway, still, yeah. there's a lot of similarities in in that uh, situation. It's a it's a very worthy comparison. The other major big big difference is that yeah, even as Jorah continues to be creepy, he the idea that he would ever like turn on Danny and try to kill her or, or maybe her allies maybe he might try to mm. kill like a Dario or something like that but Kristen yeah. now wants to kill Rainier's entire family like all of them you know um, and that's that's arguably a lot worse <laughs> I don't think that's I, I guess I yeah. don't see it as that him. aspect of it 
I don't. I I wouldn't say I think Kristen is there in the show yet that we know. Not of. yet. You're right. Not there. Well, I, I don't know be. if he is, and I don't know if he will be truly there. You That's know, true. He you might know. not be. He might not. You know, I, I don't want to kill the young. Be. We might not be like I want to kill these young boys, like these yeah. bastards. I don't know. I just I I just want to not fall into the trap that we were talking about of putting fire and blood yeah. mindsets on yeah, ascribing yeah. them to a character yet when we just don't know. That's fair. That's fair. If it goes like fire, I think, and blood, I think it'll be insulting yeah. for sure. But I just yeah. don't think Kristen will be like I need to eradicate rain nearest brood they're the like, <laughs> maybe he will be that ill-intended and that festered and, and gross and toxic maybe he will but yeah. I, I i feel like it won't be just he's immediately like kill all of rainier's gets you know <laughs> i don't know maybe he will danny and dario are a similar comparison of sorts they have some things in common to the scenario uh, dario being similarly dangerous in terms of his skills jorah as well and Kristen. all those guys are really good fighters uh, they're all top notch um and uh, but with the relative inequality of their station as well and the temptation in this case it's unlike jorah danny is actually tempted to stay with dario because she does actually like him she maybe doesn't love him yeah but she's very much into him uh maybe it's one of the things that would just pass you know you're like oh this guy yeah. like after a year i'm done with this guy this is just a fling who knows but either way she does briefly consider you know staying with him she at least maybe it's more of just like a fantasy in her mind she doesn't actually consider doing it but she just, she just considers what it would be like but still rainier probably rainier was not fantasizing about running off with Kristen cole <laughs> even for a second she was no. like wait what what is your idea here you she know? was fantasizing about running off with alice and hightower yeah and Jorah was was fine with being the a side piece. He's like, you know, the dragon has. I mean, of course, he kind of wanted to be like a dragon head. You know, he was like, he was basically saying, look, if this has to be polygamous, I'm down with that. You know, he's like, any way, any way to get in that door, Jorah's willing. <laughs> yeah. That's the opposite of Kristen, who's like, oh, this is on my terms. We're not doing it. <laughs> Jorah's like, I'll take anything. Yeah. <laughs> Also bears mention a couple of Targaryens, Duncan the Small, who actually did give up the throne for love. For Jenny of Old Stones, the Jenny of Old Stones, Jenny who would dance with her ghost, that Jenny, Duncan the Small, named for Duncan the Tall. He's the son of... If he, uh, if he descended, he would have been Duncan the Big <laughs> on the yeah, Iron Throne, Duncan, but no. Duncan, y'all. <laughs> and yeah, so that's a really interesting story that we don't know a lot about. We just know that, uh, but clearly he was really in love with Jenny. And it wasn't just a Hey, y'all, I quit. It was, you must marry a highborn girl. He's like, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm marrying yeah. Jenny. And they're like, well, then you have to not be king. And he's like, okay, okay yeah. all right then. Okay. I mean, he, he may not have just very quickly made that call, but maybe he did. And that's part of why we one day want to get that story. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, Rainier, there's no world in which she was like, well, let's see if this would work. I said it on Monday, but it really wasn't. She did not even consider, like, let's try it. Like, yeah. Let's broach the subject to Viserys or do anything. Um, she's like, no, there's no way I'm, I'm not jeopardizing my inheritance. Also, honorable mention to Maester Aemon, who was offered the throne on the sly during the Great Council of 236. One. Yeah. 230, 231. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, no. He's like, no, I, I'm a maester and my brother is a better call. So go with that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's. Spend our last few minutes on the new episode titles. We hope to get to have time for some meme talk. What we'll do is we'll maybe set them aside and do like a meme episode. Maybe we'll make that (laughs) its own episode. We'll have a little Mm. comedy uh, jaunt, a little good times there instead of all this serious drama and violence and brutality. Uh We'll make some jokes. But for now, we'll finish with these new 
episode titles. The next one is The Princess and the Queen. It's 67 minutes long. It's pretty awesome. Obviously, that's the title of the release in Dangerous Women that became part of The World of Ice and Fire, which then morphed into the big chunk of fire and blood that represents fire, uh, represents the Dance of Dragons. This story overall has really been, uh, you could say it's the princess and the queen and the prince and the king. Of course, I mean Damon and, and Viserys because they're the basically the four main characters. If, if anyone's the four main characters, it's, yeah, it's, it's those, those four. Yeah, I agree. That's going to be a little less true going forward with so many more princes and princesses yeah. <laughs> coming uh-huh. into play. So many more, but, and then so many less and as then, they all start dropping. And <laughs> but, multiple queens, in fact, as well. Yeah. Not just one queen and not just two queens. And this king will die as well and there'll be, you know, a new king and a new queen. Yeah, anyway, it'll be. <laughs> and yeah, the, a major theme of this episode will be showing how, how their friendship is, is just totally gone and their rivalry has what's replaced it. But we'll have more to say on that on the prediction episode, preview episode. Yeah. Episode seven is Driftmark. Certainly Lainer, Lena's funeral. Absolutely yeah. 100% a certainty that's what we'll get. Maybe Lainor's death will be in this episode too. Hmm. If not, it'll be in the one after. Uh, more on that in a sec for that possibility. Interesting quote here. A couple people wrote in to point out what Driftmark looks like. We're going to get to see it again, presumably, which is great because it looks so cool. Uh, Drift, Anna Wagner says, Driftmark looks like Mont saint Michel in France. And Mason T says... They use St. Michael's Mount in the UK for the exterior. You may have noticed that Mont St. Michel in France sounds almost the same thing as St. Michael's Mount in the UK. And they are nearly the same. They look almost identical in distant pictures. If you get up close, they look a little more individual. But they're both causeway-connected islands just off the coast of Normandy for Mount St. Michel and Cornwall for St. Michael's Mount. Uh, so that's Cornish and the one in Cornwall, obviously. And both of them have a conical shape. Uh, Mount St. Michael is a lot taller. I think they're both really ancient and the cat, not the castles, but the site human habitations been in both of those areas since like Bronze Age, maybe even earlier. There's like flint tools have been found there. It's pretty neat as a historical site. So that's really cool. They used this, this awesome location for Driftmark. And I wanted to share that with y'all. Great comments there, Anna and Mason. Nice. Um, so that could be, a, so Lenor's death could be there. If not, it will be in the next episode, Lord of the Tides, which I also think will be, that's when the sea snake gets sick. Which and is a Sir, thing that happens in Fire and Blood. Yeah, which Sir Vaymond makes his move. And this is when the issue of the Strongs comes up as a pre uh, preview of it coming up for the throne is that Sir Vaymond's like, hey, those aren't Valarians. <laughs> why yeah. am I, why are they going to inherit Driftmark? No. You know, it's one thing if they inherit the throne because that doesn't affect me personally because I'm Sir yeah. and he, so he uses this as an excuse to be like, "Hey, I should get it." Yeah, and in Fire and Blood, I he, and he's not wrong in my opinion yeah. either. Like, I do agree with him that the ancestral like based the, on the rules. It shouldn't be these strong boys. Yeah. Uh, if you believe that they're strong boys, and I do, and Vaymon does. So if you actually believe that, then, well, yeah, that's so the, messed up. The master of complaints will make his final complaint, yeah. presumably, because <laughs> if you recall what happens in Fireblood, Rainier kills him and feeds him to Cyrax. So, yeah, she's not, um, doesn't take that mild. Rainier and Damon together. Yeah, I guess like together, it's, it's yeah. A, I wouldn't put it all on one of them. 
personally. I thought in Fire and Blood, I think she orders I him to he, do it. She orders him and then he does it and then like. But, but it's like, Cyrax is who gets fed to. Yeah, anyway, but it's still we'll, Damon. We'll, we'll see. But I, I expect it to be a, 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 a decision they make together. Yeah, could very much be. <laughs> it, it, the, the reason it might not be is that they Damon may not be in play yet if Lanor okay. has just died. Yeah. You know, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Uh, so we'll, we'll obviously get deep into that when that happens. That's the longest episode that remains of 68 minutes, Lord of the Tides, followed by the Green Council, which is 58 minutes. That'll be Viserys' death, almost certainly. Episode 9 is often where the big thing, one of the biggest things that happens, Viserys' death, which will probably come right after we find out that actually the sea snake is not going to die. Yeah. That'll, that'll <laughs> look like, it'll be like, oh, wow, the sea snake's going to die. A lot of unsullied folks will be like, oh, no. Out. And he's going to come back. That's one thing I think that's a clue, unless it's like Viserys, where it's the really long, slow death. If your death isn't, like, really quick, yeah. you, you give a good chance of, of it being just like they're, they're teasing you and he's not actually going to die. <laughs> but if, you're, if it's something sudden, then they're probably going to die. So that'll probably be the crowning of Aegon. And the death of Lyman Beesbury, which is actually an underrated factor, because the death of Lyman Beesbury is why the Greens don't have just a straight march through the Reach and can bring their armies north, which becomes a real problem because some of the vassals, like House Beesbury, are like, no, why did you kill our lord? We're not Greens. You can't just murder our lord and expect uh, us to follow you. That's a yeah. huge violation of the vassal, uh, feudal vassal system or whatever. Yeah. And it looks weak if you don't rise up when your lord is killed. Like, you have to stand up for that. So that actually is huge. That actually indirect. It's funny because Kristen Cole kills Lyman Beesbury, and it indirectly leads to his own death because yeah. Kristen Cole's army gets stuck in the Riverlands. He's like, okay, our only way to survive is to link up with that army in the Reach, which is f- a lot farther away than it would have been had it not had to fight its own people because of the death of Lyman Beesbury. Yeah. So <laughs> that's going to be a real karmic uh, come up it's for for Kristen Cole assuming they write it that way in the show which again is not a sur- sure thing but meh. they've mostly stuck to the book so the final episode is called The Black Queen one minute longer than episode 9 most certainly the death of Visenya the baby Visenya and her that's partly fueling Rhaenyra's anger among she's got plenty of other things to be angry about she'll get crowned she'll have her black council session where they gather in front of the painted table and there'll be the sending of envoys, which is when we'll see some more ra- ravens, but also the dragon riders. Luke will fly to Storm's End. Jace will fly north to the Vale and to uh, White Harbor. And then Winterfell, presumably, she'll go. he'll yeah. go to all three of those stops, which is why that longer version, that longer trip will probably be shown in season one, episode one. Season two. Uh, season two, episode yeah. one, because they haven't cast Cregan Stark. They haven't cast any yeah. Manderlees. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah exciting. Snow. Yeah. Whereas they have cast the Baratheons that we probably need for this. They Yeah, we have the Baratheon daughters the cast. Baratheon um, daughters, yeah. yeah. And obviously Luke and Aemon. And yeah. yeah. Interestingly, too, we when we found out months ago that George and like his crew had seen the first nine episodes, they hadn't seen the tenth. That was our, that was a big clue that it had dragon action in it. Cause the reason uh-huh. they wouldn't have seen it was because the CGI was just so far yeah. from being finished. So another clue that Vagar Arax is the final or one of the final scenes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. We've got a lot of more fun to go. It feels like a big milestone because of the changing of the actors and the huge time jump, but we're still really just getting started here. The halfway point of the whole. season, and but as the whole, if we're looking at all of the Dance of the Dragons, all three or four seasons of dance we'll get. And yeah. If there's three seasons, this is only one sixth of the thirty episodes. If there's four seasons, we're this is only one eighth. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're still oh, yeah. got a lot to go. 
It makes me excited. It makes me, it makes me think about how much fun we all are going to have together going forward, how all the great discussions that have yet to happen. Sandy Hartcorn sends another super chat, says, just because Ashea is the best. Well, thanks. Hard to argue with that. I can argue with it. <laughs> I think Aziz is truly the best. I will not argue. I'm biased. Yeah, you I will argue with that. that. No, I'm not. No, you are. You are. You are. <laughs> That's a good argument to have. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks to Bran Winslow for his awesome intro. Thanks to Joey Townsend for our intro music that we've been using for years. Thanks to Jesse Koval for his alternate version of it that we like to use for our outros. Although we don't use it during House of the Dragon season. No, it's not all Bran Winslow. I will say that. The intro and outro that y'all see, Brandon Winslow did not just the visuals. He did the music for that, too. He, he did, did the whole thing, one person, and just so impressed with what he what he did. Um, and shout out to him powerless in puerto rico right now yep yep um, that is for sure yeah uh, shout out to all those folks dealing without power right now in yeah. puerto rico and a couple other places like pakistan there's a couple places around the world right now oh. that could use use some help so if y'all feel like sending a donation to either of those places this would be a good time for it yeah for sure and as well thank you to our mods that's um all the folks on facebook who keep track of our discussions over there this time of year there's a lot of work to do with that making sure that spoilers aren't aren't dropped on folks who aren't looking for spoilers, making sure we don't get spammed by memes, keeping them all in one place, which yeah. is, makes it a little easier to look at them. And yeah, you check out our, our, more. check out our meme thread every week. Yeah, that's what we hit. were going to try to talk about today. Yeah, but, but no, you'll, you, so you can go to the Facebook group and you can see each meme thread has like, 70 comments on it yeah. so lots of lots of jokes for you we got jokes they got uh, jokes they got jokes as a group uh, we got some, jokes yeah some of them are my jokes but yes <laughs> as well thanks to Michael Clarfeld for these maps you see behind us that is his work he is such a great great artist and contributor to this fandom We'll see a lot of y'all on Saturday for the preview for episode six and for like, future episodes on future Saturdays. Technically, while you do the patron credits, I could just put memes on the screen. That is true. You could do that. I don't that. have to explain that's them. Bad, and so if you're a, watching, you can see. That's a good idea. Shout out to our patrons and those of you who subscribe to us on Spotify. Spotify is one of the best ways to catch the, the the replays because you can watch the video while keeping your bandwidth low and just flip on the video ask part when there's something to look at and keep it in podcast mode the rest of the time. But of course, you can catch this episode and all of our episodes anywhere you catch podcasts or on YouTube. So yeah, let's let's give some extra patron shout outs as Ashea gives us some extra memes here. Yeah, our peers of the realm include... Hang on a sec, got to pull this up. You do that. I laugh over here. Hi, Lord Jacob Hayes. The Doom Opal is captain of the shimmering tide, relentless as the seas, hand of the king. Lord Juliano of House U is hand of Queen Ashea, known as the Omni Knight. Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. What's up, Jim? Lord George Stormsville, the Cunning, is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Capeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs and Warden of the South. Jenny the Just is Captain of the Ghost Ship Liberty, which vanished in the Shivering Sea over a century ago, but has recently been sighted near Volantis, if the tales can be believed. King Beyond the Wall, Sidney Jesse, is the Fallborn, Lord of Blue Spring and the Haunted ha Forest, wields a dagger of Dragonglass and the Valyrian Steel Blade, Fred Frost. Sea Lord Sean Gallagher is the Titan's Binger, owner of nine Valyrian Steel Ears. 
Araya Flint of the Mountain Flints was captured by the Weeper, only to be raised in the Valley of the Milkwater. Blue eyes and golden memories. Alexander Greyblood is first of the first men, now crowned in ice, called Silence Bringer, Wood Blinder, and the Snow of Night, wielder of the Ice Forged Greatsword, Pale Frost. As I'm going through these, you'll notice that they are overwhelmingly a Song of Ice and Fire themed. Now, if you all are thinking about joining Patreon, you could add to the level of Dance of the Dragons era naming conventions and titles to maybe balance it out a little more, but you choose what you like. Our small council includes Lord Taylor of House Lineberry, Strength of Stone, Will of Iron, our Master of Coin. Lord Chris B. of House Baelish, Always Keep Your Foes Confused, Master Whispers. Drowned Dan, Lord of House Windsor, Master of Karate, and Friendship for Everyone, and Ships. <laughs> Lord Goodkill McGee, ruler of Castle Over Yonder, and Grand Maester Scotty. We also would like to thank Lady Dire Liz of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron, Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell, Breaker of the Second Stone. Gregor the Toasty is Lord of the Breadfort, still baking up tasty things in the Breadfort. Ashland Winter is the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. The Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Bemmy Snugglebunny is guardian ranger of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood, dual wielder of the Valyrian Short Swords Glorious Morning and Little Light Wise, sharpshooter of the Werewood and Ironwood, anima oh, laminated rather, not animated, laminated longbow, Todd Von Oben, when you fear things cannot get worse, Snugglebunny enters the fray. An animated longbow would be kind of interesting. You just let it go, it shoots arrows by itself. Yeah, yeah, there you go. The Bastard of the Wolfswood is first forester of the Old Gods, sworn to House Ironwarewood. Listen for the silence. Casey Stark is of House Acres. Peter Rivers is the pale dragon and heir to Bloodraven. Lady Mora of House Stark is archmistress of apothecaries and woods witch. Her castle features werewood doors with painted moons. Lena Snow is the Twilight Star, bastard daughter of Dane, wife of the Trickster, and lady of Castle Rivia. Little Witcher reference for you there. Jason Stark is second son of the North, wielder of the Valyrian steel sword Bloodbath, and Lord of the ca of Castle Whitewood. The chill is real. Suckass Gamer is master of soap and clay. Amanda Pinkwolf is lady and ruler of Castle Whitefast. The low, the lo <laughs> the ice emboldens. The glare on the screen. I was like, what is that word? Oh. Uh, Lady Adeline of Sea Dragon Point is Keeper of Trees, Warmth and Frost. And Lord Benjamin of House Hornwood, of course, rounds it out. Thanks also to King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. And now our Queen's High Council, Rebea Star Eyes, Lady of Waves and Mistress oh, of Ships. I don't get to read mine. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Uh, That's I how we used like, to do it. You yeah. read yours. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, you I, you were so busy with memes. I though, know. I, I took the memes off the screen in okay. anticipation. Cool. Go for it. Rebea Star Eyes, Lady of Waves and Mistress of Ships, Captain of the Iron Shadow Cat. In the shadows, we bear our claws. Grand Archmaester Rennie, whose rod and ring and mask are quartz crystal, wielder of the Valyrian steel pen, Fire and Ink. The Purple Lord, Leo Anansi, Master of Whisperers. Lady Wolfbird, Mistress of the Eastern Rivers, Gatekeeper of the Northern Skies, Daughter of the Silver Sea and Master of Coin. And finally, Lady Carolyn Carey of Castle Stone Sharp, whose horse is shod in Valyrian steel, Prime Rider of the Rising Hills, and Master of Laws. Also, shout out to Lady Wolfbird there, Mistress of the Eastern Rivers. Shout out to their podcast... Silent Sisters podcast. Yes. Also, if you are a podcaster looking for someone to edit your podcasts, 
Lady Wolfbird is looking for work. That's right. She's very good at that. Specifically for mm-hmm. House of the Dragon and A Song of Ice and Fire topics, but anything in general. She's very good. She's edited some History Westeros podcasts and plenty of podcasts of surprise podcasts. As well as the uh, Learned Hands podcast. Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah. Shout out to them. Um, our Kingsguard is led by Lord Commander Namian of House Darkland, the Night Slayer, Valyrian Sword, Onyx Abyss. Sir Dean the White is Knight of the Black Star. Gregor Snow, called Snowbear, is a Bastard of Winterfell. Vaughn of House Forster, his sigil is a mailed fist with extended forefinger and pinky on light blue field. Motto, Visenya let us hold Dark Sister once. <laughs> Sir Bateman is the Dark Knight. Sir Roland de Stark is Gunslinger Knight of the Winter Kings, back from a 20-year ranging in the lands of Always Winter to protect my King Aziz. Well, thank you. And I am in need of protection. Oh. Our Queen's Guard, there you go. Another Lord- one for you, Ashaya. Lord Captain Commander Hama Helminth, the Sellsword Sentinel, James the Green. Oh, I don't think he means green in that way. James <laughs> the Green, <laughs> Lord of the Lord of the Meadows, Keeper of the Trial of Grasses. Another Witcher reference there. Oh. <laughs> Amber the Adamant, the Knight of the Mist and Mother of Squids, the Wintry Wolverine. We finished what you begin. Nora Nico, Archmaester Vena, whose ring, rod, and mask are made of steel. Not pudding, not pudding and Laura Boros, the Lady of Infinity. Yeah, our beard guard is led by Lord Commander George the Golden, and Lady Rita of the Coppermane, the Unbound, Dance the Fervor, and Sir Jeff Warden of the AC, Warden of or Wielder of Triad, the multifaceted beard of Platinum, Red, and Brown. Motto: Stay Frosty and Bloody Ben Blackwood uh, round out the rest of the beard guard. Bloody Ben himself. <laughs> Last, but yeah, right? <laughs> He's about to come along pretty soon. Could right. be seeing him very soon. Members of the Knights History of Westeros Watch are our final shout out. Lord Commander Richard the Ligerheart, wielder of Barry's Ankle Breaker, a flail with blue and silver Valyrian steel spikes. Motto, go blue. That's a reference to the Detroit Lions, y'all. And first builder Magor Snow, a.k.a. Magor the Cool, the Fire in the Snow, along with First Ranger Liam, a.k.a. Sir, waiting on a nickname, and First Steward uh, Sir Zack of House Wild, Lord Shredder of the Spiral, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Axe, Grail. That's our show, everyone. Thanks for coming, or thanks for listening to the replay. We'll see you for more episodes on Saturday, where we do spoilers, and Monday episodes with Sean of House Beard, where we do not have spoilers. Our guest this Saturday is Dr. Kavita Mudan Finn, a personal friend of mine in the fandom um, that I've known for a long time, who is a medievalist, and she will have a lot of really interesting things to say. I'm pretty excited for it. You're going to want to tune into that, especially those of you who are big fans of our historical references, are delving into real-world references and things like that. Yeah. be an extra dose of that this Saturday. Mm-hmm. So until then, folks, you know what to do. Valar reread us and Valar rewatch us.